A Muppet Family Christmas will continue in a moment. Here's a glove just for you, my Toys R Us kid. I'll show you how to field and run and hit like I did. All the fun that we'll share, my Toys R Us kid. You've got the stuff a pro's made of. Tagged him out when he slid. Can't wait to grow up with my brand new Toys R Us kid. Toys R Us. You'll never outgrow us. Christmas time. It is Christmas time. Next year we're bringing bells. We're going to bring bells like sleigh rides? <laughs> you should bring a guitar and we'll do like an impromptu, like, you know, like uh, some weird uh, cautionary tale. Christmas. Uh, What's your, for me, like big Christmas album for you? Um, well, growing up, they've always been like those best ofs. Like I loved when I was little, like putting the tree up and you'd hear like, um, say, uh, I always liked like Alvin and the Chipmunks, like that kind of thing. And then when I got older, it was like Sinatra. And now I think now I'm, I'm, I love myself some Gene Autry, like the, the singing cowboy. And, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I put him on and he's like a guy I know and love. So I put him on and it's just like, uh, you know, him and Peggy Lee um, singing together. Oh, no, I'm not Peggy Lee, Rosemary Clooney, you know. So I, I think uh, either Sinatra or, or even, I'm giving you like half a dozen. <laughs> I like, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, what's the name of the movie, the show with uh, uh, Bonanza, Ponderosa? Yeah, yeah. I downloaded the Ponderosa Christmas, and I've never watched an episode of the show, but I know the show well, and it's, it's, a, uh, it's a ritual for me, like on a weekend when I work overtime at my job, and I come in and out around Christmas time, I'll listen to the Ponderosa Christmas album. I'll have to, I'll have to give that one, too, because that was a big... Uh, like a Landon and them, you know? That was a big show that I used to watch with my grandfather when I was little. Oh, then you'll love this. So, you'll know everybody. So, I mean, I haven't seen it in... And it's 30 years. But it's just just so fun because it's, you know, back then it's like probably 1960, 61. They make it like it's it's an episode. So it's like, you know, like, you know, they hear stuff outside and they're like, ooh, are those Indians, Pa? They open the door and everyone's singing Christmas carols, you know, and it's like, oh, it's all the neighbors, come on in. And then they decorate the tree and, you know, you know what's going on. So it's fun. I mean, I remember, you know, there was like, I had a 45 record. Yeah, that was like on one side, maybe, maybe I had a couple of them. One, One of them was maybe like, you know, Frosty Snowman. By Bird Ives, maybe? Yeah. The only thing was like the B side, which was the one that I always remember, was called Morse the Moose. Yeah, that's weird. And I think you can find it on YouTube, but it was like, I'm Morris the Moose. <laughs> Morris the Moose. And that's the one I always remember. But other than that, the Who most... sang Morris the Moose? Like Hanukkah Harry? Like who? I, I have no idea. I mean, I was little. That's a, that's a my, song that the, sadly to, is to falling down day, the cracks of life. <laughs> to this day, my mom will bring it up because I loved it when Morris I was the Moose. For some reason, that was my jam. Wow. Um, but other than those couple of 45s, and they were for kids. You know, yeah. they were like, had the cartoon... Yeah, yeah, picture yeah, yeah, on yeah. the front of the cover, and you know they had like the little. Remember the, you know, tapes or I don't know what brand it was, but it would be it was like a little round head with like a, I don't know, it was like a little elf head or something. It was like the emblem. Oh yeah, and it had yeah. like a little triangle hat on yeah, it. Yeah, it, it's it's like a series of children's yeah records. I want to say it was like one of those. Yeah. Um, See, I had one of them too, but it was like a best of and the. 
I actually have seen it on eBay and I was going to buy it, but then when I realized I had it in my wish list, it was too late to get it here by Christmas. And it's like a picture of Santa like on the cover sitting with kids on him and they're re- like listening to a record yeah, yeah. and that's the best of it. But other than those couple of 45s, the only Christmas album I think we owned and this was at my dad's house was the Sinatra Capitol Records. Yeah, it's great. That was like the only one. Not like, there's been compilations of like different Sinatra yeah. Christmas things, but this was like the one where it's like that the, screen, the right? drawing of him like, yeah, looking with, over his shoulder with the like, hat with the scarf yeah, and, he's and holding then if his you hat. look closely there's another drawing like behind him of like him like turning around looking at you yeah, like yeah. a little longer one and but, it was always that one with the J-I-N-G-L-E bells woo and what's the one and then there's the song one of the songs at the end where it's like when it's over he goes Merry Christmas everyone yeah he says Merry Christmas you're like oh teary I was like Merry Christmas Frank you always got to say Merry Christmas to Frank and we're and we're just I'm just going to say, as of this recording, we're, weird just, segue. we're just celebrating his 100th birthday. And there's another great Christmas album he did with, I think, Columbia, which is like, you know, right after he was just became um, uh, singing by himself. And that's a really good uh, Christmas album as well. And at the end of that, there's like a live version of him doing like a V-disc for World War II, where like some Don Wilson from J- uh, Jack Benny's band introduces him. And then they talk to a general, for all you soldiers out there, here's Frank Sinatra. And then Frank sings like, he like sings the Lord's Prayer, you know. Our Father. Yeah, there was a lot of even on the one I'm thinking of. There's a lot of like re- the religious. Yeah. Christmas carols. Um, and uh, a friend of mine's family were getting rid of some uh, records that they had in their family for years, and they gave them to us because they didn't want to give them away. They didn't want to throw them away. I was like, yeah, we'll take them. So uh, you know, I be, I was cleaning up and putting them back in order to listen to, and. Uh, they're an Italian family, so it's a shitload of Italian, like Perry Cuomo, Mario Lanza, <laughs> yeah. and it's like all these great, uh, great, great, you know, who would have listened to, maybe they're on DVD, I mean, not DVD, maybe they're on CD, probably the Perry Cuomos are, but like some of the more obscure ones are just great, you know, and it's yeah, like, yeah. Who, who knew that they did, I like back then it was like everyone would do a Christmas album, and I guess today uh, artists do do Christmas songs and stuff, but they're, yeah, to yeah. me they're not always as good as, you know. Yeah, even the Christmas albums today, I don't know, it's like... You know, at some point, those were new songs, you know. Even some of the ones that we think of as being, like, old standards were, like, new at the time. And the, some but of them it, were But really it's weird now when you hear, like, a new Christmas song. Like, Fuck this shit. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> Give me one of the old ones. It's weird, yeah, because you think that there's not really any... I mean, you're right, people are, I guess, conceiving new Christmas songs for the holiday, but they're never really good. The, and then the ones you really like are the ones that are, like, 50, 60 years old. Yeah, and it's yeah. weird to think that a lot of them are, brought, like, were either written, say, for, like, you know, Rudolph Reynolds' Reindeer was for, like, a department store. Yeah. Or other ones were written for, like, say, uh, Meet Me in St. Louis. You know, yeah. Julie Garland was going to sing this. Or, you know, or you know, White Christmas for Bing Crosby and um, Holiday Inn. So, and it's so weird to think that these are the songs It seems songs like it takes at least 40 years for one to catch on. Because now, like, the Darlene Love. Yeah. Like, 60s. You know, like Spectre or Phil Spector. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are becoming really big right now. I love those. I love the the Phil Spector, like the Renettes or the Shangri-Las, those uh, Diana Ross and Supremes, the, the Motown Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Ray Charles is one, Stevie Wonder. I mean, there's a... there's a But the Darlene love ones with, like, Marshmallow, you know, the ones about winter, and then there's the big one. Well, you know, I saw Daddy kissing. Oh, Mommy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole different. That's a whole different Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, I saw Daddy kissing Santa Claus, <laughs> <laughs> and it was a little mommy. too much eggnog <laughs> yeah, that, that Christmas. Daddy was a little too drunk. <laughs> Daddy couldn't see straight. He was still crying about Grandma getting run over. Um, 
jeez, uh, we're, we're, we're all out. Well, it's, it's the Christmas season. Welcome to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. It is the Christmas season. Uh, I went down to Macy's the other day to, How was see, the, to see the Peanuts movie. Yeah, I know. I saw they had the Peanuts uh, for the movie this year. The, the store, the, every year, Macy's in New York City and a couple other of the big, uh, like, Bloomingdale's or... Um, yeah, like Lord and Taylor. Lord and Taylor, yeah. It's a, it's a staple that every year they, they do a big old uh, storefront display in their windows. Traditionally, they've been doing for like 60, 70 years. And this year, Macy's in conjunction with the Peanuts uh, yeah. the movie. Was, they were neat. There was like, I want to say maybe five. Yeah. But it's cool they didn't displays. just do one window. They did all their windows Peanuts. which Yeah, I yeah. Cool. all the windows on like, you know, 6th or yeah. Broadway. Because they kind of intersect at that point. And uh, yeah, it was neat. It was all like animatronic. Not, I want to not like animatronic like they, but like they moved yeah, and stuff. stuff. They're on tracks. They're like. doing like little scenes. I love that. That's the like, you know they, they always do. There's everybody those department stores always do such cool traditional store. You know like of Christmas trees and yeah. you know, trains and kids. You know getting up and you know decorating the tree. I always love that kind of thing. Uh, it's such a magical time. Um, what's your favorite Christmas special? Well, that's the thing. I was thinking about you posed this question, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago when we were <laughs> like off mic, you know, to be like, we should think about this kind of stuff. And uh, I don't really remember. I mean, I remember watching them, but I don't remember ever like really being into any of them. I mean, did like, you, would you like look forward to like Charlie Brown's or? I don't recall. Uh, like, I clearly Grinch. Like, I know I watched them. Yeah. Um,. Nowadays, I would say The Grinch, just because of a little segue to this for what we're going to talk about today, because Chuck Jones directed it. Chuck Jones is one of my heroes. Yeah. uh, Cameos in this bad boy. uh, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I watched Seeing the Peanuts 1 and then, you know. Frosty. Frosty. I think uh, I liked Frosty. It was a cartoon. Yeah. You know, like. uh, How about the. the Red Nose, Rudolph Red Nose Reindeer was kind of cool. The stop motion, I guess, was kind of neat. Yeah, I don't watch them every year. The the bunch of. You know, Bert Ives does, I think, Rudolph maybe intros. Then there's. um, Maybe Fred Astaire is at the beginning of another one with the mail. He's the the postal man. And then it's young uh, uh, Santa Claus and it's Mickey Rooney's his voice. With the with the tooth mi- the miser remember the all those the tooth guy like all those and the, and I'm the more Yeti. like I don't know I feel like I more remember like the Christmas episode of whatever shows I was into than I do like the specific Christmas specials. Yeah, that's what I tend to do now is I I'll scan the airwaves and try to find the Christmas episode of the shows and tape them to watch the next year for like good times or different strokes or. You know, Dennis the Menace or yeah. Saved by the Bell, all those, you know. 21 Jump Street's got good Christmas. <laughs> Speaking of 21 Jump Street. <laughs> which is funny because I don't know if it was me TV, which we, now it's like we, every cast we talk about. We're just hammering home. <laughs> we love the antenna television. Uh, I mean, it's so cool, though. I mean, you can get. But like, me TV <laughs> never doesn't show 21 Jump Street. No. Like Heroes and Icons shows. Yeah, that's another. But I guess there was one night where they were doing, or one week where they were doing all Christmas yeah. episodes. Because I was flipping through and MeTV had 21 Jump Street on. Had the oh. 21 Jump Street. It's the only episode where you really learn anything about Harry Aoki, who's like the Asian guy on the, oh, yeah, on yeah, the 21 guy. Jump Street yeah. crew. Uh, but they were showing, I was like, holy crap. So I texted Dave. Hurry! From, our, from the uh, Silver Bullet cast. I was like, 21 Jump Street is on me TV right now. And I'm going to live texture. <laughs> and, right that's, and that's Dave's favorite episode. So. Wow. I mean, some of the best shows I remember having, like Quantum Leap has a great Christmas episode. Um, 
you know, there's some really good uh, Twilight Zone. Twilight's in the art. That's a live Art Carney playing um, Santa Claus. Um, I love, um, which you know, there's a Muppet Christmas special that's that's really amazing. That I don't know why has never been released. Oh yeah, you you uh, you showed that to me. Yeah, that's I, that one is great because everybody think about Muppets and stuff. You always think of like the at, at the otter. Christmas oh yeah! Junk, See, they have such a good jug hand, yeah, jug, jug, band. <laughs> jug handle band. <laughs> Emmett Otter's jug, uh, yeah, jug band. That's that's great too for HBO. They did that. Um, the the Christmas toy, which is a which Toy Story basically ripped off of. That's a great one. All Jim Henson, and then this one we're talking about is like 1987, and it's like right before um, Jim Henson died. I know, and he it's shows. That's actually it. kind of sad. Yeah, because because right you know that he's gonna die soon. Yeah, I mean it's such like, a spoiler alert. He's like doing dishes. Yeah, remember that? It's such a, but it, I, I can watch that every year, and I don't understand why. It, it premiered in '87. I think it. They ran it again like in '88, and then there was, of course, as always, there's copyright issues with like some of the popular music, like Jingle Bell Rocks, in it. They sing and they sing like something else. So they had to cut them out, and it was released on video and DVD very quietly in the, end, in the late '90s, and then it was never heard of again. And you can get it overseas. Because of course they're copyright laws, laws. They don't care. Yeah, I don't give a shit. Yeah, so you can get the whole thing overseas. But a friend of mine had it taped off his tape the night it premiered. So I was like, "That's freaking great!" So he copied that VHS to DVD, and I got copies of it. So I watch that thing every year, and it's so cool. I mean, you have like the Muppets. They go up to uh, Fozzie Bear's grandma house. Yeah. Grandma house. Grandma house. Uh, the, the the human from Fraggle Rocks there with with his with his dog uh, Sprocket. Oh yeah, yeah. That's and then. Right. Sesame Street shows up, and then freaking Fraggle Rock does show up, and then there's like some. Uh, it's a Jim Henson wet dream. Yeah, you know? it, it's it's amazing. <laughs> it's literally, you know, and it's to me, it's up there with the with the with the original Muppet movie. It's just so good, and um, I love that bad boy. That, and then recently on the same VHS tape that he transferred to DVD, he had the original Sesame Street Christmas from like '74 or '5. And that's freaking crazy. That's what's still with what's his face is still alive, Mr. Hooper. Oh yeah, Hooper, you know. Hooper, <laughs> Hooper from Sesame Street. <laughs> totally. You know, and I always say to myself, it's really funny because Maria, who I, I when I was little, I, I, I don't remember her real name, the actress Maria. She, uh, I always thought she was so good looking, the Latina woman. And yeah. it's funny that that's in the '70s. And then if you go watch Death Wish, when, <laughs> when, when Chuck. Um, Charles Bronson's family's at the grocery store and evil Jeff Goldblum with his crowd is eyeing them and they're going to follow the wife and the daughter home. Uh, Maria is checking them out. She's, yeah. She works at the grocery store. So that's that, where she worked yeah, before exactly. she went home. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. She's like, Sesame Street's so comforting, but then when she leaves that block, <laughs> New York's big bad New York, you know? So, uh, yeah, there's just so many. There's some I can't watch. Like, um, Frosty and The Grinch I've seen so many times I yeah, try to yeah. skip a couple years even with Christmas Story or like Christmas Vacation like you know it's like I've seen them so much but for some reason the Muppet one is the only one I can just you know I won't sour on as of yet yeah yeah but it's always fun to find something new like you you're saying you you are now revisiting 21 Jump Street yeah. and then it's it's so fun to find say their Christmas episode that you've never seen and it's like you know even though it's 30 years old and you're like wow <laughs> yeah, I didn't yeah. know that they had a Christmas episode so it's really cool to like come across that like Hazel you know I love Hazel the old show that me and you found on the uh, antenna the television antenna. on the channel antenna the actual yeah <laughs> and uh, you know to find those old episodes or whatever Donna Reed or whatever yeah, the hell, yeah. I find those so awesome so uh, such a great time I hope people still watch that stuff and listen to the old you know, Christmas music and stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, I mentioned that. I don't know. Tradition. Yeah, I mean, I hope people still do that. You know? <laughs> it seems like do you still do that. Yeah, do you guys write us in? Let us know. Um, <laughs> it seems like this Christmas season was rushed because I, you know, just like our last cast, we were saying how Thanksgiving, you know, it was that was kicked away to the curb and everyone was on board, and this was this first year that everyone was like really embracing Christmas early. But then all of a sudden, Jesus, it's, it's a week before Christmas. You know, I it's know. like Christmas is two days from this cast dropping. And it's like ay ay ay, and it's. And when we live in the Northeast, it's like 70 degrees. It's like Florida. <laughs> you know, this is my... I know, like yesterday was the first day. It was kind of cold a little bit. Yeah, and we're actually like going to make records this year. They're saying our Christmas is going to be like 70 degrees, and it's going to blow out records. And it's like, you know, this is what people who, who like live in Florida and California must have. And I was like, I can't, you can't have Christmas That is, snow. It's weird to think about. I was thinking about that earlier. Because uh, it is weird to think about like, like a white, cold... Like blustery Christmas is really for America is really like the Norman Rockwell view of it. Yeah, it's yeah. really like a very small portion of the country. <laughs> yeah, it's, a lot of it is in like freaking you know you live in Santa Fe, New Mexico. That's not you're not getting that. You know? Yeah, I mean even if you get past like you know south of Jersey, That's it starts true. to get like less. You might see snow, but you know not a whole lot of snow. Yeah, when you, and then when you hit like Virginia, like. It's all like rain. Oh, rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if like it snows, like shit no, hits the van. No, people can't drive. <laughs> yeah, there's a the entire the entire state closes. Yeah, it's a state of emergency. They're putting trucks out. There's, there's, it's flurries. No school. Stay off the roads. <laughs> Only a meet, you know, emergency tra- tra- communication or transportation. So it really is like it's crazy to think that really because we grew up in the Northeast. So yeah. It's, so like we've always had this as like our Christmas, but it's really. A very small portion. I mean, of you countries. were you were north. You were up in there, Albany. And I have a, um, there's someone I work with who's who's very well known, um, and she was joking that she grew up where you grew up in the Albany area, and she went to Syracuse, and she's like, you know, kind of like uh, poking fun at the people who never see snow, like you were just saying. She's yeah, like, yeah. she's like at Syracuse. She was like, it was like John Carpenter's The Thing. You know, they would tie <laughs> ropes from one yeah, building yeah. to the other. You just go out and hold on to the rope and. I remember our, you know, my first winter at Albany after we moved there. And, uh, from Philly. From Philadelphia. And which my, was still kind of, you know. Which was, yeah, you, you know. You get, the, you get a... It more, was more like it was here. Maybe it's a little bit warmer than here in the city. But but our first Christmas, we sent my uh, first or second winter there. And until, like, my grandparents died, this picture was on my grandparents. My, my grandmother's refrigerator was a Polaroid that my mom took of me shoveling the driveway and the sh- snow was literally up to like my chest. <laughs> and how old were you? Like ten, eleven, or I was like, well, yeah, like ten or eleven. Yeah, that's funny. But uh, that's how much snow you'd get there. That's so like now it's like when people complain about the cold, it's like you don't know what cold <laughs> is. So bitch. You think kids are still entrepreneurial where they go out and shovel and? Have we talked about this in other casts, or do you think kids just don't care anymore? I have no idea. No. I'm so. I've I've realized I'm old now because I'm like I'm so out of touch. Like I'm still in touch with like my younger self enough that like if I visit my nephew who's now six or whatever, or or I'm gonna actually see for six already. Yeah, but (laughs) like you know, like I'm still in touch where I can get him like really cool gifts. Yeah, and like I can play with them, and it's like it's a good time. But I'm out of touch with like current. I'm so out of touch with like whatever current youth is. Yeah, I don't know what the hell is going on. I can't even tell how old anybody is anymore. I know it's scary to say like you know someone's like 20 and they're really that's weird. I don't know. But yeah, and they were born in like 
2000s. The 90s. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even know what uh, cassette tapes are. That's weird. Hey, well, hey, like we said, welcome again. Speaking to, of cassette tapes. Yeah, speaking of cassette tapes, we have a very, we're, we're, we're drawing a parallel to uh, 1984. Uh, Nin- what do we, talk about 1984 we, we talked. What, what did we talk I about? I don't know, but 1984 is one hell of a year. We talked about, well, Terminator, we did Terminator cast 84. Did we do? Um, we could ju- we could just do a podcast about 1984. I can't figure. And every every week, every week we talk about a, a different movie, movie. a movie that came out in 1984. We we did a movie earlier uh, in our podcast about a movie that came out in 1984, and we were talking about how hard it was. The summer of '84, this movie was up against. Do you remember? What, it wasn't Last Starfighter, was it? I oh, don't that's know. 85. I, I feel think. like we had that discussion. We did. That's Last what I'm saying. It was like we had like we we, we named talked all the about movies how, that like, came out. We did with Last Starfighter. We talked about what a great summer for movies it was, but maybe it was this one. Let's get the interns on this. One. Um, Jerry, but this is uh, <laughs> um, this is we're doing this year. Um, this year, this season for Christmas, we're doing uh, Joe Dante's Gremlins from uh, 1984, released in June of 1984, which is weird. I guess originally they wanted to have a Christmas release, but then uh, Warner Brothers realized that they didn't really have anything in the summertime to c- compete against Temple of Doom or um, I think it, I forget what the other film was called, Ghostbusters that was coming out at the time. So they rushed this yeah, into this production. Yeah, this opened on the same weekend as Ghostbusters. Yeah, so they got this son of a bitch done and they got it out, uh, like you said, the same weekend as, um, as Ghostbusters. And this movie was rated PG-13 and it is... No, it was rated PG. It was rated PG and then it was touted with, I guess, Temple of Doom. To, to, to up that bad boy and get a Both PG-13. Both Spielberg. I'm telling you, there is something about Spielberg, especially in the 80s. One of these days... Or he hates children, or...? Yeah, there's going to be a, uh, you know, like a, like a like Truffaut a, like a Michael Like a Michael Jackson. Oh, you're talking about like... <laughs> like somebody's going to interview him when he's old. And he's going to say, I hate the children. <laughs> and it's all going to come out. And 1984, gonna, Last Starfighter. So it must have been Last Starfighter we, must have been we talked about. about Check out Last Starfighter. Starfighter. We also did Terminator, which was 84. Um, I think well, I don't know if we did anything else from 84. Great year. Um, it's a hell of a year. But you know what? Love or Hate. Um, Van Halen, great album. 1984 is great as well. <laughs> got a lot of good stuff going on. And you know what? You Love or Hate, Spielberg, He's he's got his fingers in some of the best... Uh, Movies of all time, and not even you don't even well, realize is, he's connected what, to. What's him. interesting about Spielberg? Well, not there's many things interesting about yeah. Spielberg, but in this case, um, okay, Temple of Doom aside, which he directed, yeah, like I love that, like Spielberg, like the stuff he decides to produce is like fucked up. Yeah, you know, like he's like I can't. I can't get myself my hands dirty myself. Yeah, but I'll, I'll executive produce this son of a bitch. But I will executive produce the crap out of this movie. So you got Gremlins, which is incredibly fucked up. Yeah. Uh, Poltergeist. Yeah. And it was fucked up. I would just coincidentally not like in any kind of preparation of this, but like yesterday I watched Young Sherlock Holmes. Did he produced that as well. Which he produced as well, written by Chris by Chris Columbus, who wrote Gremlins. Yeah. Um, he did batteries that, that included, right? And that right? movie's... I love that movie, and we, we'll get to that movie at some point because, yeah, I think, because I think we need to yeah. because it's awesome. Um, but there's some fucked up shit in that movie. Yeah, that the hallucinating fucked, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that movie's messed up. So Spielberg has this, you know... And I love, like, the talent he picks. I mean, Joe Dante. Coming off of a great... He was right... Just They might have just finished The Twilight Zone together. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, and it's he, a lot of I think parallels. he saw The Howling, and he, thought, and he liked The Howling, and he felt that The Howling had a similar tone to what he wanted Gremlins to be, so he kind of hired Dante for Gremlins. And then there was a... To, 
I, I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe that there was just like such a long process of getting Gremlins made yeah. that they were just like, well, why don't you do, <laughs> why don't you come do Twilight Zone the movie with us? Yeah. Uh -oh. You know, like while you do, while we're, you know, getting Gremlins off the ground. And that was really And then Toby Hooper with, with Poltergeist. Now, did he actually, what's the, what's the urban legend that he kind of directed? Um, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a little bit of controversy about Poltergeist that he was, Really, and he might have been like the main creative force. I do know from an interview with somebody who worked that I did with somebody that worked on Poltergeist, Alan Howarth, that according to Howarth, like Toby Hooper didn't have anything to do with the post production of it. But he did the pre and actual but production, that, like the, the, sh the that like really Spielberg was in charge of post production. So it was almost like in post production, Spielberg was like the director. Well, it's interesting how Spielberg and this happens a little bit in this movie, Gremlins. It's almost like he's he buys a product. It's all about it's all because of him the things getting made, and then he'll outsource it to somebody that he thinks is talented, and then he'll almost when they're done he'll take it back, and then he'll do what he wants to it and like you're saying with Poltergeist he'll either take over completely yeah. and helm the post-production or he'll have um, creative control enough to be able to yay or nay stuff yeah. like he did in Gremlins and then he but, he, but and, and to his credit there was things that Joe Dante fought for and the studio really and we'll get to specifics yes. that yeah. the studio really wanted taken out they, like this was the thing that this was like the deal breaker and they were really pushing Spielberg to, and to take it out. Spielberg also disagreed, saying he agreed with the studio, but he sided with Joe Dante, like, saying it's, it's, it's his your, baby. It's your movie. Yeah. Like, I'll stick by uh, you. I don't agree with I him, but, like him. Yeah. but we'll get to the specifics. And, and what else? That. He did Goonies, I think he produced that. I might, yeah. And I, 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 I want to say maybe The Explorers. I could be wrong. And then, of course, Batters Not I don't included. know if he did The Explorers. Uh, oddly enough, not oddly, but maybe Cocoon? Interesting enough. He might have. I See, all know. these movies that are like big. They, they all have a similar. Yeah, Spielbergian. <laughs> yeah, Spielbergian <laughs> to touch to them could be, but like uh, this was the first Amblin. Yes, picture. Yes. Um, so uh, Spielberg had produced stuff like he produced uh, what's that Zemeckis? Back to the Futures. Used with with Kurt Russell and Jack Warden, and uh, he had produced stuff, and but this was the first movie where he actually kind of co was the co-company. So Amblin, this Amblin, which was, it was actually the name of a, one of his early movies and everybody knows the logo because it's Elliot and E.T. Yeah. on the bike. Um, I'm sure everybody listening to this has seen that cast. I mean that, uh, you know, that logo a million times, but the silhouette of this was the over. first time. Yeah. Also interesting, uh, so we see that this is first Amblin production and this also, at this point, Warner Brothers wasn't using the old Warner Brothers logo. Yeah, the anymore. shield that you see at the starting. Yeah, they were using which I always, you know, remember from videotapes. It's that red screen with like the black. Yeah, kind of like it's not really a full circle, but like a, and it's got like those three white things. Yeah, like the that, dot that make like a dub, dot. that make like a W. Yeah, I always thought they looked like fingers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I was little, they kind of come in, but that was the, that was the thing. But Joe Dante was like, you know, we're going for like an old, you know, Capra kind of feel. Like it would be great if we could use yeah, the Frank old uh, logo because yeah. we got Jerry Goldsmith doing the music and all this stuff, and so they broke out the old logo for it. And then Warner Brothers liked it so much that they just continued and using so it. After it's a that. great logo. I mean, to their credit, it's like the line on MGM. You know, it's it's a great little or like the uh, the uh, unicorn running for TriStar. The, yeah, the, but you know, it's funny because now for our generation, 
when you see a logo, a certain for me, when I see a certain logo, I always imagine a specific movie, a piece of music. Yeah. So for me, Warner Brothers is Batman. Theme. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for uh, New Line Cinema, even though New Line did Friday the Thirteenth, for me, New the New Line Cinema Scream. logo always will have the the beginning of John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness. Oh, okay. <laughs> so for me, I when I see the Warner Brothers logo, I always expect that uh, I'm going to hear the Danny Elfman. That's funny. Score start to come in. And um, they they had a big uh, uh, they they were it wasn't like a brat pack but in the early eighties you had like Spielberg um, Joe Dante you had uh, Zemeckis to a certain extent and um, what's his name who directed uh, uh, you know Blues Brothers and uh, oh John Landis John Landis they were all <coughs> palling around me. together and then they all collaborated in a film two years earlier Twilight Zone the movie which with George Miller which is a really interesting choice yeah to bring who in. directed the Mad Maxes. Um, to bring him in, maybe because he just done the Road Warrior and was Road Warrior's Warner, and I don't know, was Twilight Zone Warner too? I don't know. It if, might have been if it was Warner. I know that George Miller. I mean, it's a little bit of a tangent, but uh, George Miller talks about how it was the first thing he had ever done for hot, like a Hollywood studio picture. But he's working with these guys, you know. So it was like the dream. Yeah. Everybody producing it, our directors, and they're all collaborating, and he's like, so he's like, oh. You know, this was such an amazing experience. Yeah, I'll do another movie for, you know, Warner Brothers, whoever the company was. Because he thought it would be like that, and then he did Witches of Eastwick and fucking hated it. Wow. <laughs> hated making it. Like, it was like a nightmare making that movie. And he only got through it because Jack Nicholson would always be like, he'd always be t- trying to quit, and Jack Nicholson would be like, no, you can't quit. We're making a great movie. <laughs> yeah. And he and Jack Nicholson would go back to the studio and be like, you got to leave him alone. Like, we're making a good movie. He, he's fucking George Miller. Like, leave him alone. Oh, good for Jack Nicholson. We, t- we, t- we talked him up in Batman being a good guy. But, uh, uh, yeah, so they all they were all doing the Twilight Zone, the movie, and then um, there was a big mishap there where uh, an actor was killed and some children, Vic Morrow, on the uh, John Landis little vignette because it's, what, four maybe anthology stories that have like a, a, yeah, a bookend, yeah. and that really, really, and if really. If you want to tie it, Vic Morrow is Jennifer Jason Lee's dad. Yes, who was in Fast Times with Richmond yes. with Phoebe Cates, and uh, <coughs> yeah, and Phoebe Cates ends up coming in here, and they weren't talking at the time, and that was kind of the reason why Vic Morrow decided to choose the role because he was in his fifties, and he's like, look, my daughter, she's she's very famous right now. I want to try to get back into it, so he he was cast in this movie with uh, John Landis and he started doing his, all his own stunts and he wanted to Im- please John Landis any way he could and he was killed in a, in a horrible scene with a, uh, Huey Chopper. He was decapitated which is now you can see the footage readily available sadly on um, YouTube because at the time it was a big um, uh, cinematic or big explosive scene so they had like six or seven cameras running at the time so you had close-ups long shots of this big explosion happening in this Vietnam scene that he's transported to within the story of the Twilight Zone. Uh, he's a racist bigot and then he gets transported to like Nazi Germany where they think he's a Jew and then he's transported to Vietnam where they think he's Viet Cong so it's like he's reliving you know all the racist aspects and he you know so he ends up getting killed and that completely sidelines that project and I think the movie ends up coming out. It's a good movie, but it was definitely overshadowed by this, and rightly so, yeah. because somebody and died. We, you know, we should do that yeah. at some point. Um, there's there's a, a lot other than, even other than this, there's yeah, a lot there's, to talk there's about. There's a lot going on in it. It's, I mean, and it's, it's, it holds up. It's very nice. Um, 
So uh, there's a book on that called Extraordinary Conduct, which is highly recommended, which is out of print now, but it explains everything from the, the pre-story to each person involved into what happened that night into the court case and what happened and who was at fault. And so, uh, long story short, that happens. Uh, we, like we said, we had uh, Joe Dante, we had Steven Spielberg, we had George Miller, and we and for had... For me, Joe Dante's... Uh, the John Lithgow? Uh, well, that's George Miller did the John Lithgow. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say you liked the, jo- the, the. I just said the, the Joe Dante one, like. They all did. Was like so weird and like creepy to me well, they as all, a kid that it's like the one that I remember the most. They all did uh, remakes of original uh, Twilight Zone stories. So. Uh, Steven Spielberg did the Kick the Can episode. He was originally going to do the the, the uh, Maple Martians on Maple Street, the Maple Street episode, uh, but he 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 stopped doing he decides that. Decides to distance himself. As yeah, much very as he quickly could from, because of what happened. From the controversy. Yeah, so he did the Kick the Can episode, which is only literally shot like two days. Uh, Joe Dante ends up doing with I the great Scatman Crothers with the great Scatman Crothers as well. Yeah, he's in that, and that might be also his last film, I think. Um, he all, um, Joe Dante. I don't know the name of the one he does, but he does the one with the boy who. Um, yeah, it's the kid from uh, in the original one. It's the kid from, from Lost in Space. From Lost in Space. He's in, yeah. And he's, he's in a couple Twilight Zone episodes, uh, and it's about the boy who can like do have he has powers and he can read your mind. Yeah, and yeah. He's stuck in his house with his family, and he brings this girl home he meets, who's like an older girl, you know, like a woman, and she helps him home. And then the family's like weirdos, and you find out because the family's so they're afraid of him, afraid yeah. of the boy. Great episode. But it's so they're so so that one is. So so weird. Well, you have almost like it's almost like an audition for the Gremlins because you have some of the animation Warner yeah. Brother. That maybe it is Warner Brothers because there's some kind of cartoonish in it at some point. Yeah. Um. Uh. What's his name? Who we just said Blues Brothers. Oh, John Landis. Sorry, John Landis did the scene where uh, Vic Morrow was killed, which I don't know the original source material for that. I have to look that up to see what that episode it was based on. And then George Miller the, did my yeah. favorite, which was the uh, William Shatner's. Uh, yeah, uh, with John Landis, yeah, George the, um, with the Gremlin. By the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was Richard Matheson's uh, 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 terror at twenty thousand feet, and uh, which was John Lithgow played. It, yeah. Great, and uh, so they all scatter to a certain extent. Uh, Steven Spielberg distances himself, runs to, 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 to Asia to do Temple of Doom. He's also getting through a divorce, so he blames that. That's the real. He says the reason why Temple of Doom is so dark because he was in a moody place which it's interesting because it's like then it's the reason why I beat my kids because I was in a bad place it's funny because it's also the the goofiest it's my favorite of, 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 of the of the movies yeah. other, other than maybe Crystal Skull but yeah. you know of the original well, and it, yeah yeah it, it's got a lot of crazy and it's it's dark but it, to me it's like the most serial or like going to like you know in the yeah, foreign yeah. lands or doing stuff and I mean there's there's human sacrifices child slavery <laughs> you know they're and eating the they're eating animals ripped, you know they're taking they're taking hearts out through through, through like you yeah know, ritual. I mean no, no doubt about it I mean it's it's kind of messed up and then gremlins comes out the same year yeah a couple of months later and uh, which is or next the month a month later and the these the two these movies being so dark and people being so like you know complaining about how how violent they are and how weird they are is what creates the PG-13 rating which is what we were kind of talking about earlier yeah and then I think Red Dawn is the first movie to actually have that rating I'm surprised nowadays Red Dawn you would think would have got an R but uh, I mean, I don't know. Did the remake get an R? Probably not. Now they, now they try to make it. <laughs> yeah, they don't. Well, they want to get teens. Um, 
But yeah, so I mean, like, and it just—it's—it's it's symbolic of the '80s. How fucked up the '80s was because you have yeah, all I mean, these—they they yeah. market these things to children, and it's like this is clearly not for a child. This is—they talk about this in Gremlins, where where they marketed it in such a way where mothers were taking their young young children to see this, and then as soon as you know, Act Two happens when the Gremlins materialize, they're walking out of the cinema because like yeah. I can't have my kids well, even see my this. mom will t- even my mom has said like yeah, she took me and my brother to see it. She was like while we're watching, she's like, what did I? bring them to I mean it is incredibly messed up and you're right it is there's something about the 80s and maybe it's because that's like our generation that we remember it maybe it's this way in other things but in other decades as well but it seems like the 80s is very I feel like they were pushed. testing the ground you know and gremlins is like perhaps like the le- the like the worst marketed movie in that it was so marketed t- towards us, like a bait and switch. Because I mean, because you had like this cuddly little stuffed animal yeah. that you could sell. In, in a, a I mean, they gizmo. made they made freaking cereal. There was a cereal. You know? <laughs> there was a morning cereal. There was, uh, you know, so I'm it was sure like, there was other merchandising because you see Burger King in the movie. You know, so I'm sure that there was some sort of other merchandising. Yeah, you probably had like glasses from Burger King. Yeah, and, and it's uh, it's amazing to think that like then halfway through the movie I mean it's fun now and you look at it now but it's still I mean E.T.'s also screwed up but in a totally different way yeah. and like more of a, like a traumatic yeah don't trust like the we're, government we're dealing with death for the first time as a kid yeah you know with with, with E.T. whereas Gremlins is just like anarchy it's just you like, know uh, you know Spielberg back in the day would said you know it's not a horror movie it's not a comedy it's not this it's like it's this weird unique thing and it's it's like it's a horror movie yeah like it's, it's like in the vein of like a, <laughs> you can like pretend a it's not but it totally is i mean it's like you know you have like on one side of that that extreme you have say like i guess you know abbott costello meet frankenstein or to a certain extent bride of frankenstein and to the other extreme you have like evil dead 2 where it's like you know it's yeah. a it's a comedy or or maybe like um What's the early uh, uh, True Blood or what's the what's the early Oh Innocent Blood? Is no, that... yeah, that too. That's that no, but the one that's that's by uh, the guy who did um, uh, Jesus. I'm I need to reboot my brain today. Uh, Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson. Oh, did, oh uh, yeah, uh, sim- dead, dead alive, dead alive. How that's like those are just fucked up, but they're spoofing the genre where this one is. It's a big budget spoof on the genre where it's 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 really making fun of every it, to me. This movie just makes fun of Western civilization, Western culture, and it it sets it's like a real fucked up version of It's a Wonderful Life to the point where it's like you know Kingston Falls, the na- the yeah. town in Gremlins is supposed to be Bedford Falls from to yeah. a certain extent. They uh, they use the back lot, so they they shot on the same back lot as Back to the Future. And it's it's really interesting to see like the clock yeah, towers the ta- become the, the school. Yeah, the town square is the is, same as. Back to the Future is the same as you know movies dating back to the fifties. Yeah, you know that had a town square. So if you you know the, the came from outer space, uh, it's the same town. Yeah, square. if you know the setup of that town square, you know where the where the diner is in Back to the Future. That's the radio station, and then like you know the the theater at the end where you know where he runs the the DeLorean into is the theater where the Gremlins are in, and I think you know. The pub has changed. Parallel universe. It's so funny. Spielberg, you know. Spielberg universe. Yeah, and and you know, and it seems like again, it's like a Norman Rockwell kind of a town where it's I don't know if it takes place like in. To me, Bedford Falls for It's a Wonderful Life was kind of like in like a Connecticut, uh, you know, lower New York State kind of a scene. Yeah. I don't know if uh, this is supposed to be there too because at the beginning 
uh, when we have our, our, our father introduce the story, he's in a Chinatown. And when I was little, I thought the Chinatown was like New York City's Chinatown. Yeah. But it very easily could be L.A.'s Chinatown. But then if you continue with the story of Gremlins, in Gremlins 2, they're in New York City. Yeah. So maybe it, it is a suburb that both of Westchester. And, it seems would we'd seem weird that he and Phoebe Cates would move. Across the country. Now. Yeah. <laughs> it would seem like they're just in you know, an hour away from New York City and then they're moving to the big city for a job, you know, for Gremlins 2. But we're on Gremlins 1 here. Uh, we have a great actor uh, who I haven't seen in a lot, but I love him, named Hoyt Axton, who is a singer-songwriter. And if you go look him up, look him up on IMDb.com, he has one of the sweetest uh, 8x10s I've ever seen. <laughs> it's a younger black-and-white picture of him looking at the camera, and he's got over his shoulder uh, a acoustic guitar by the neck. So he's like holding the you know the the, yeah, yeah. the end of it with the neck over and the the big old body behind and like and that just is sweet. And I guess he was in in 1979 Black Stallion. He's got a very uh, authoritative deep voice, and uh, I guess because of his voice they had him narrate the movie. Yeah. So he kind of is the storyteller. Well, originally there was there was stuff in the beginning that set it up more. Yeah, we you know, what he wanted. There were scenes that were cut out. There's a and, shitload of scenes we find out that are cut out of this movie. And. Uh, they decided to kind of to move the story along that they would take out those scenes and they would put in narration. Yeah. And he had such a great voice that they just decided to have him. And narrate. I tell you, I love the narration because at the end of the movie, when he sums it all up, I still to this day remember how scary he's like, you know, if, if one night your microwave ain't working or that, you know, yeah. you know, check your bed, open those closets. And to this, <laughs> you know, when I watched that in 1984, I was like, I'm going to, to this day, I'm always, you know, and, um, you know, we go back to, um, uh, we talked about Raul Dahl from our, our um, Willy Wonka the Chocolate Factory. We did a podcast on that uh, last year, and uh, he wrote in 1943 a short story called The Gremlins, and that was about gremlins, and the, the whole story of the gremlins, for people who don't know, is in World War II, a lot of, of the snafus that would happen up uh, to our uh, airmen who were in the skies, shit breaking down, they would you know blame on gremlins, and it was like this mythical creature. It was very scary. The, the concept that they they lived in the clouds or whatever or whoever, wherever they lived and they would come down and they would feed on the technology they'd you know uh, yeah. rip the planes apart destroy them whatever and then fly away and that's what you get in like you said the Richard Matheson Terror at 20,000 feet that was in the, the Twilight yeah. Zone movies uh, you know in the original it's more like a guy in a bear suit but then in the the uh, George Miller one it's like a freaky ass gremlin looking guy yeah you yeah know? it's really creepy you know and it's <laughs> yeah. it, it's really more interesting it's interesting to see like that's a serious take of a gremlin a year before to this yeah, take yeah. because at the very end of it i always loved uh, i love the soundtrack to that to that little uh, vignette but you have um you know uh john lifgow spoiler is able to get a gun he blasts the window open of the airplane to save the airplane he gets his head halfway out and he's shooting at the at the gremlin and the gremlin gets up to him and like I think knocks the gun away, eats it, and then he like uh, he he does like the no 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 with his finger, and I always found that so like you know it's like the T one thousand Terminator two, it's like yeah, he, yeah. it's conscious, it's not a stupid, you know, it's not just like a primate or whatever, you know, yeah, and it yeah. sees and then it, it ends up going away, and you could watch it to see what happens. But I always thought that was cool that it, it had that kind of consciousness, and to a certain extent, it seems like these gremlins do too because. Uh, there's a weird duality there where they're stupid, but then they have their own language, and then they're 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 understanding concepts. So they're watching TV, they're watching Disney movies, they're playing card games. So it's it's a lot of going on there. Now Joe Dante points to uh, same year, 1943, Bugs Bunny cartoon. Mm. Um, Bob Clampett's Falling Hair. Yeah, uh, he claims that that's uh, was the first time he kind of 
you know, that was his, his introduction to this concept of the, the gremlin. And that's spoofing the World War II guys. It's, 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 it's Bugs, ba Bugs Bunny satirizing what they're, they're hearing about the, the, yeah. the warman, the airman saying. And that was actually supposed to be, clips of that were actually supposed to be in this movie, but then uh, didn't never ended up being in the movie. Yeah. But I, think, I believe there are clips of it in, this, in the sequel. In the, in the new batch. Um, the new match, and uh, so we have this 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 man going into Chinatown, and he wants to buy his son a present, and uh, it it's funny he goes in and he goes into this curioso shop of of you know very curiosity brought by this young Chinese kid who's like I'll sell you something, and my yeah. grandfather owns a shop. Uh, the guy's name is just grandfather, but we learn his name is Mr. Wing. And I guess we learn that in the sequel, the new batch, and it's played by Key Luke, the great Key Luke, who we t we talk about in the. Halloween Mad Love cast we did, <laughs> yeah. which uh, we, we our affinity for Key Luke and at the point of, in, in Key Luke's career, great Asian actor, he was eighty, but he still looked so young they had to age the crap out of him because I guess he looked too young to play eighty. So they you know they gave yeah. him made they gave him a, a, you know a blind eye and all that. I think he plays a good part and he doesn't want to sell him anything. He leaves the room and the, the little kid's like, I'll sell you something. Well, it's funny how there's like this device um, of like the Asian store or the antique shop and like this mysticism that's that kind of comes from there we have it here uh for all you uh readers out there that are our age um there was an author named bruce Koval, maybe monster's ring okay i don't know if you remember that book no there was a book called the monster's ring and this kid buys this ring from like an antique shop or something and then it ends up like it turn, can turn him into a monster it was like it was a big book for me when I was a little oh, no, I and on YouTube there's actually a uh, like a little animated afternoon cartoon version of it maybe we can post the, a link to it but so it's like we got this weird like device going on and I don't know where it starts but it definitely is going on here in Gremlins, like the weird store, something that's on you know purchasing an item that's unusual. Well, it's a, it, and you almost you need to have like the responsibility. Yeah, it goes back to, to like a, the the it almost still a hundred years on. It's like the, the 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 ignorance of the Asian culture where Chinatown's still like a anything can happen down there. Magic, Golden uh, Child, you know, with Eddie Murphy. It's like well, anything it's can like happen the, down there. It's the it's our ignorance of yes. the Asian culture. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not, not just a to clarify. Complete, what you yeah, mean. It's, it's, it's the, it's, it's the not, Westerns. Not that, not that the Asian culture has ignorance. No, it's no. our ignorance of it's, what Asian It's the culture Western is. culture's ignorance of the Asian culture, the Eastern culture. And I think it's personified, and that's kind of like the big theme in this movie, where Asian culture is so refined, they're so well in touch with, no matter what it is, the earth, nature, animals, and then we have the Western culture just come in and say, well, buy it. And then it's like... Yeah, this, buy that for a dollar. Yeah, he buys the freaking thing. <laughs> he takes it home, gives it to his son. And I got to say that this family is probably like the, the family that... The, they should not have pets. You're, they have a dog, and I'm surprised that dog gets fed by how they treat like stuff. Like he's like, he gets the, the toy wrapped up, and he starts shaking it. And he's like, the, the, the father's like, don't shake that. And he's like, is it a puppy? And, he's <laughs> shaking, he's like, and it's like, you know, I'm surprised that, that animal's there last the night. You know what I mean? I mean, he, we're getting a little fur, further along, but like they have, a, they have a woman in the town that's real, a, re, a cratchy old woman who's trying to take the town over, and she's mad at the dog, and she like ties their dog up like in the, uh, the Christmas tree lights, and nobody cares. Like, oh, well, the dog deserves it. That's interesting it. You, know I mean? you say that because uh, 
I was also always under the impression that the that the the gremlins the did mod it. wise did it. Oh yeah, I know. I don't know because they, they you don't know who you think. See, it's left up to they 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 assume that it was him. I mean, I guess my my point is not that who did it, but they don't really. There's not really any concern that the dog was hanging in Christmas tree lights forever. How how long? <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, the, 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 he wakes up because he hears the dog. Because I would think the dog sleeps at the kid's bed. And then he wakes up and he doesn't hear the dog. The dog's, like, cry, crying. Yeah. And he goes outside and the dog's hanging on the front porch in Christmas tree lights. And the next scene, he's like, oh, I wonder how long he was out there for. I don't know. It's like, well, how the hell did he? You mean you let your, it's snowing out. There's about a foot of snow on the ground and the dog is going out. They don't even care. And it's like, oh, well. I know I locked the door. <laughs> he doesn't even care. So we're getting ahead of ourselves. So he brings this Mogwai home, which is in Cantonese means, uh, you know, uh, gremlin. Before we get to bringing the gremlin home, I do want to point out it's like... I don't know if it's Spielberg. I don't know what's going on. If it's a if it's a call to call back to Temple of Doom, but like Asian kids with Yankee baseball caps, yeah, big deal for Spielberg. <laughs> I wonder if that means if it's like yeah, like it's. I wonder if that's like the assimilation of the Western culture because the, the, the Yankees baseball give the Asian kids yeah. baseball. Have them wear a New York. Cause it's. I wonder if it's like. You know, because the, the, the younger kids are always the ones who are, the one, who are like the envoy into the, the family culture, be it like yeah. Temple of Doom or even like the karate show where the, the karate kid, kid you know, the, the, who becomes a cop in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the eight-year-old yeah, yeah. kid that lasted what a minute that? and a half. We brought that up in another time. We brought that up in Remo Williams, <laughs> that cast. But it's like, so I wonder, like, it's the younger generations who are adapting the, the cultures of the country and then, the, you know, the older you know, uh, relatives are kind of standoffish, and you know, it's it's them becoming Americanized or Westernized yeah. by okay, give them a Yankees cap, you know, the NYC or whatever. Now, there's a little like a little Easter egg in Chinatown. I don't know if you picked up on it. There's a movie, not theme. the movie, but the in the the the, the uh, what do you call it? In, at the beginning of the story. At the beginning of yeah. the story, if the whether well, it's in Chinatown that there's a movie theater. Okay, and the two movies that are playing are A Boy's Life and Watch the Skies. Okay. Those are the two movies playing. Yeah. Now, for all the, this, this big Spielberg people, they'll know this. Yeah. For all the people that... A Boy's Life was the original title of E.T. The working title, yeah. And Watch the Skies was the original working title for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So it's a little... Yeah, Spiel- a little... Uh, <laughs> a little Spielberg. And, and for all the motorheads out there, uh, when they're in Chinatown, you see a car that's disabled, and that's an AMC Gremlin as well. There <laughs> you, you know? go. Um, so Amagwai means in Cantonese culture either mongrel or devil or gremlin. So they bring this thing home, real cuddly cute, voiced by the great Howie Mandel. <laughs> but he doesn't do the actual singing. No, he doesn't. Uh, then that gets over to the score, uh, yeah. Jerry Goldsmith, who, who did a fabulous now, score. Now Jerry Goldsmith, uh, unfortunately, is no longer with us. But, um, I mean, he's up there with John Williams. I mean, he's like of that generation. Yeah. Of like, he's among the biggest names yeah, John Barry, him. You could get, um, I mean, uh, and he did all, oddly enough, you know, even though John Williams did, like, you know, the Indiana Jones movies and E.T. Star Wars. For, for Spielberg, um, all these produced movies, not all of them, but a lot of these are, like, like, Poltergeist, this, or all Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith also did um, uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture, I believe. Yeah. Um, just... All over the place. Bond, too, isn't he? He might have done some of the Bonds. What I find interesting about this score is, like, when I think of Jerry Goldsmith, I think... And there is orchestral stuff in this movie, but I think 
primarily just orchestra, yeah. like you would think for you know John Williams or whatever. But there's a lot of like synth and stuff going on in this movie. Yeah, it's I don't very. Know if it's, once they get I don't it going, know if it's it's, I don't know if it's budgetary restrictions or just they. You think felt, it's the era '80s? They want to get it like sounding. Yeah, but uh, like Kitty. But he you did know? a lot of scores in the '80s that didn't have you know that kind of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they just felt like that sound. They talk about the, that theme being like really capturing like the mischiefness. The, the the theme of Gremlins that, yeah. that score, which I find is like one of the most iconic. It's, I can sing that. La 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 la. la. <laughs> it's a great melody. Yeah. I mean, it's a very it's like a it's pop music. Really. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't it's come so out. catchy. You hear it in the uh, you hear little cues of it throughout the movie, but then finally when they end up con- uh, getting Dick Miller's. Um, uh, snow machine. That's yeah. when you first hear it in its full force, like dun 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 dun. It's it's to me. It's almost like um, uh, Danny Elfman's like theme for like dun 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 <laughs> yeah, dun, dun yeah. for Pee Wee. It's like you know, it's like that kind of a. But you're, but it again, it is very mischievous, like the Gremlin. Yeah, you know, it does, it's very it matters to capture. And I wonder if like if that was the decision, or if it was a budget. Like, what was the decision? Why they use synth as opposed to a full orchestra? Yeah, I mean, I don't. It would be it would be interesting to. I haven't read anything about why they decided to go that way. But like I said, you, when you hear, when you think of Jerry Goldsmith, you don't think of that kind of school. No, no, not at like all. That kind of orchestration. No, and it's 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 still to this day. I think if you were to, for movie fans, not the novice, but I think people would be able to pick it out. It's like that's freaking you know that's that's Gremlins. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And it, it almost has a life of its own. Where I think you could put it in other stuff. It's just so. Yeah. Some people might not even know what it's from, but they're like they'll know it. You know, I think it's great. Um, so you're right. So Howie Mandel voiced Gizmo, but then uh, and he does that high voice that he used to do for people our age who remember his stand-up comedy where he would do Bobby. Then they translated and they gave him a cartoon show, Bobby's World. Yeah. Um, he has a very, very high child's voice. So he did that for, for Gizmo. But then the, the melody that, that Jerry Goldsmith came up with, the song he would sing, this Asian song, was voiced by, I guess, a, chi- a yeah, child in his little, orchestra. This, no, it was like this little girl... Who whose family went to the same like temple that oh, okay. he would go to, and I don't know if she sang there. I don't know how he knew that she sang, but she was not a professional singer. But uh, they so got her to do this. They ended up hiring. And company. they must do something to it. Maybe they 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 must you know bring it. Maybe the you know they. they yeah, I don't know if they they pitch up, it up they or pitch it up or they alter the tone a little bit but because it does not sound human yeah. <laughs> but it's beautiful I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's such a beautiful and then it's beautiful because then that theme become, comes there's a callback to that theme in musical terms when uh, Billy and who's Kate, the, the boy Zach Galligan and yeah. Phoebe Cates when they kiss they, it becomes like a, a little bit of like a romantic oh like the, that's their little thing it becomes like the romantic theme of the movie is Gizmo's kind of theme it becomes like they orchestrate it it becomes a piece of music later on yeah so, so because that diegetic non-diegetic that we always talk about it kind of takes over it transcends into their the, 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 the love theme yeah. of them um uh, you as you brought up the child in the movie the child he's actually like a teenager but he looks like he's in his 20s but the, he's playing like i guess a teenager is uh zach galligan well, first I, movie i yeah, think yeah well i think he had done some other stuff but that was my question is like how old do you think they're supposed to be because i don't well, think they're he's in high, high school is he is he in high school yeah though, because he, he runs out of high school he runs to uh i think they're like seniors and they're getting ready to go to college maybe or whatever because we never see them in school because he's running over oh because you're saying he's got a job and he's doing he's so a, maybe he just graduated then yeah because he knows the teacher he runs to the high school and he's talking to the to the to the because to we the, see Corey feldman in school 
Yeah, but he's supposed to be young. I think he's supposed but to be in grade school. But still, I mean, I mean, where I grew up, I mean, you might have been in a different school. Oh, physically. but still, yeah, but it was still. But the your same. Christmas break was the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I wonder if, like, if they're not, if they're, you know, like nineteen, twenty, or eighteen. Yeah, she yeah. looks younger than she did in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. To me, she looks like a little, like she looks almost like she's, you know. But then she's nude in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, right? Or is that the one she yeah. takes her time? She, one of the yeah. best. In fact, she almost didn't get this part because of yeah. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah. Because they were like, the parts she had been playing were a little more risque than this character. And the studio was worried that nobody would buy her as like this wholesome like girl next door. And I thought she was fine because they, I mean, they really. I think she's great. Look, it's Phoebe Cates. I yeah. mean, what guy didn't have a crush on Phoebe no. Cates? No, and then <laughs> for her to actually do that full frontal nudity scene, which I had never seen because I'd well, always seen it. full frontal. Well, I'm sorry. Top, top. For me, it's full frontal is the top, yeah. And then I'd never seen that movie, uh, you know, I've only seen it on television. So, like, the first time I saw that, like, you know, in a videotape or DVD, I was like, whoa, my God. I mean, that's, like, that's the coming of age for yeah. an entire like generation of people was that and scene. she's got one of the best... Which has Judge Reinhold in it. Yeah, it has Judge Reinhold it, as well as this movie. And then he, his part got substantially cut down, as well as the bank manager, too, who I, who's a character actor who's been in a ton of stuff. Yeah. The older guy. Well, this movie's um, full of... We're, see, we're jumping all around because it's, it's just like, we don't know so what to talk about. You ju- like, okay, so... Uh, Steven Spielberg even considered Tim Burton to, to, to direct it, but then Tim Burton hadn't done a feature film yet, so they decided not to. They went with Joe Dante. We're getting Phoebe Cates' is cast as the love interest. The son is Zach Galligan. They only picked Zach Galligan because of, in the auditions, Spielberg, again, is the one making these decisions. He thought that Phoebe and him had a good chemistry. Um, we have the great Dick Miller, who's a huge, huge uh, Roger Corman Was it a actor. Corman has been in every... Uh, Joe Dante movie. Yeah, there's a documentary sh- about about him. A Dick there's, Miller. Maybe it's on demand, or maybe you can catch it on one of the streaming networks. There is a, doc- a Dick Miller. Oh, I got I got to watch that. Yeah, he's um, for people who don't know any Roger Corman movies. Um, he's in uh, a cameo in the original Terminator. He's the gun owner, the gun shop that Schwarzenegger buys the guns from. Uh, he's in one of my favorite Roger Corman non horror movies, uh, which is uh, Say Valentine's Day Massacre with um, Jason Robards. Great. Uh, yeah, he shows up everywhere, and I can never. Bucket of Blood is like his big. Yeah, he's, he's like, star of it. He's uh, in Bucket of Blood, which I, is a George, uh, uh, which is a Roger Corman movie, which is great. Yeah, I mean it's very dated and very uh, low budget, but and I can't date him, uh, Dick Miller. He always looks to me like he's old, he's young, he's old, and he's still alive. Because I just saw him in a couple years ago. They did a sequel to the Warner Brothers. They did a Looney Tunes live action movie with um, Brendan Fraser. And oh, he's in that. Joe Dante might have, might have directed. Oh, that. there you go. Yeah, because he cameos as like the Warner Brothers security guard, like the the studio guard. Yeah. And it's like, oh, Dick Miller's still alive. And, and he's in Joe Dante's uh, Twilight Zone. He's in the Twilight Zone. I think he's might be the bartender. Or something oh, like he, he, when they go to the diner or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think he's appeared yeah. in basically. Every and I noticed Dante movie. I noticed in the credits that this movie was also executive produced by Kathleen Kennedy. Is that the same one now who owns Disney? Uh, I don't know. You know, so I wonder if that because she, you know, the one that now took over from Michael Eisner, and now she's the CEO and is running all the Star Wars stuff. I wonder if that's her. Oh, could be. You know what I mean? Because then could that's be. and there's Disney parallels because at the end of this movie they're watching Snow White, which is evidently a Christmas movie. I didn't know <laughs> a Disney Christmas movie that came out around um, 
Christmas time. But so the important, the important part of Dick Miller's character is he's the one that is. Yeah, he's he, a he relays the and it's such a great little part. He relays the backstory of the Gremlin. He's a World War II vet who I guess was a uh, you know a, an airman, and he's talking about how the Gremlins used to get into your machines, and it's 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 almost funny because um, it's satirizing. There was a big uh, contention for a lot of vets. Funny enough, well, not funny enough, but uh, a lot of vets. Even after the war, despised the uh, Japan and Japanese more than they did the Germans because, for some reason, they thought the Germans treated them a little more humanely when they were captured prisoners of war. But the Japanese were torture, the the you know the Bataan Death March, a lot of stuff that the Japanese would do. They were hated even after the war to the point where people wouldn't buy foreign cars, wouldn't buy anything foreign. Certain mechanics wouldn't let you know wouldn't even service foreign cars in mechanic shops. So you have this satirization when. Dick Miller's like, I won't buy anything foreign. He's like, yeah, yeah. like even his tractor. It's like that's Kentucky, you know. And he's talking about, you know, the, the, the uh, I don't know if he says like the Japs or the foreigners. He's like, they put gremlins and everything. Your TVs, your Walkmans, your the little headphones that go in your ears, you know. And it's funny, and and uh, he's right with the, the gremlins show up. Well, he's he's the one that names them. Yeah. I mean, I think Billy only ends up calling him that because of oh, because of Dick, Dick Miller's, Miller's explaining it to yeah. him, you know. And he's a great drunk too, because when she when Phoebe kicks him out of the uh, the bar. And he relays some of that backstory. I think he does a great job as a drunk. He's a classic. I mean, he, he's totally recognizable to our generation because of these. Yeah, because Terminator, of this, Joe Dante. You know, because of these guys that worked for Corman. Yeah. Loved them and they put him in their movies. Yeah. I mean, if there was no Roger Corman, I don't know where this world would be. And there's another, do- there's a good documentary. Was it Corman's World, I think, on Netflix that you can get to? Big documentary if you don't know who Roger Corman is and what he did. Um, yeah, well, Joe Dante's first movie, I think it was his first feature, was Piranha, which was George Corman. Yeah, uh, uh, Roger. A Roger Corman uh, production. And that's why, that's that connection. Yeah, and we talked about how this movie, um, written by Chris Columbus, who also, he wrote, I think, both The Home Alones, as well as directed them, and, uh, you know, he has, it's well, a wonderful life you know, every, It seems like every episode now, there's the sleepover hall. Hall of Fame. Oh, okay. And I would, I would say, Chris Columbus. Is Chris in the, Columbus, we'd have to put in there. For I mean, we did for uh, when we talked about Dutch, when we saw Destry, the composer, yeah. we ducked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for this one, we got. I mean, Chris Columbus. He wrote Goonies. Yeah. He wrote uh, Young Sherlock Holmes. Um, he directed Adventures of Babysitting. He uh, the Home Alone movies. Love Adventures. He directed. I mean, not that I was a big Harry Potter fan, but he did the first couple of Harry Potter movies. Yeah, it's just the uh, just for ba- Adventures of Babysitting and Goonies and Young Sherlock Holmes. Just for those movies alone. Yeah, I know, and <laughs> and it seems like he has a big fascination with it. it's a wonderful life because the Christmas related movies he does this and the two Home Alones all have actually it's a wonderful yeah. life playing in the background, and then there's a lot of. Similarities. If you go on the internet and look, there's like uh, a shit ton of similarities between this movie people make and It's now, a Wonderful Life. He wrote Gremlins, and he wrote Gremlins originally. The theory or the the myth is that he wrote it as a spec script, a, a script that he would. There was never. He didn't think anybody would ever want to make it, but it would be his script that he would show. Uh, people to demonstrate that he knew how to write a script. Yeah, that's that, what a spec stri- script is. You're making it. You're writing it for no money. You're just writing it to try to sell it or get it out there or show people your talent. And it was an idea that he came up with while he was in college yep. in New York, NYU. And like he would say, that, you know, his apartment seemed fine, but then when you turn the lights on and you go to sleep, he would hear all the mice and, and, the, yeah. and the rats and stuff in the old building. And so he would thought, like, how creepy is that? Like, it's almost it's scarier. 
like that many is scarier than you know one big you know having a big monster like it's almost creepier that there's these little things like living in the walls and shit so yeah. he writes the script and the script is a lot darker uh, reportedly than the movie actually ended up becoming but it's the spec script that he writes and Spielberg ends up reading it and even though Chris Columbus thought it would never really be made into a movie Spielberg loves it and he's like this is it's, so it's interesting that he got it to or into Spielberg's hands and that it was able to be you know uh, to be seen and he li- you know Spielberg liked it enough that, that's a that's a feat right there to just be able to get yeah, it into Spiel- the right so hands. Spielberg options that he buys he buys it and he decides to make it into a movie now it goes through several rewrites because like I said it's a lot darker some of the major things that are in it like the mother gets killed yeah they, they cut the mother's head off and they, they throw it down the stairs they uh, they end up uh, killing and eating the dog they end up going to McDonald's and they, they end up eating the people at the McDonald's. So there's a lot of darker and, stuff. And it's funny to think that they wrote this and if they shot that spec script, you know, what we would have had today. <laughs> you know, and there's a lot of stuff as well that they wanted, that they, I guess, wanted to keep, but then they had to lighten it. And, uh, you know, so they shot some of it. Yeah. And Spielberg, we, we will talk about in the company, the, the Warner Brothers were kind of like, ah, I don't know if we should keep that in. Yeah, yeah. But one of the biggest things too is the, that they originally, his original script had gizmo yeah turning into stripe he turns into he becomes a gremlin yeah he becomes, he becomes the, the, the stripe gremlin yeah and then i guess they all get multiplied so that, that's that. that's kind of interesting to think about like my case for these people for animal abuse yeah that is, is huge like it's their fucking fault this is all <laughs> happening because they don't listen to reason they don't treat animals yeah, the way yeah. they do they're not paying attention and it's it's the biggest cautionary tale in the world yeah it's this lovable little howie mandel magwai yeah is going to uh you know you don't treat him white right he's going to you know, he's going to metamorphosize into, like, this evil Frank Welker, yeah. uh, gi- um, you know, gremlin. But Spielberg says, you know, Gizmo's so cute hey, can't that, do that. that we need to leave him. He needs to be in the entire movie. Yeah. Which I can understand. He so wants to keep then we have the, the multiplying. And, then, you know, they make up these rules that are completely ludicrous. Yeah. The, the kind of, that's, like, the beautiful thing about this movie is that if you read too much into it, it's kind of yeah, like, well... Is that you really have to, like, surrender... Yeah, your... Logic. <laughs> yeah. Because what happens if you're in a time zone and... What, There's all that stuff. So, and, and they make fun of a lot of that in the sequel. The sequel uh, wasn't a very successful movie, um, but it was a comment, like, Joe Dante's, like, let's just comment on... The, the first one. Well, wasn't it, it did financially well. I remember that being like a killer. Like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe critically it didn't yeah, do I don't very think well. It, I, I don't being, think it was considered. I saw that bad boy in the movies in 1990. That was like huge. And uh, so the second one is like this comment on the first one and a comment on sequels in general. Yeah. But so they, there's these, the rules, as we all know, our genera- all of our generation knows. Yeah. You can't get them wet. You got to keep them out of the bright. They hate bright light. You got to keep them out of the sun or they'll die. And you can't feed them after midnight. Yeah. This is so much so that um, uh, I have a little dog now. And the first time my father was going to take care of the dog, my family, um, when I was going away, we were giving my dog to my parents to watch. I called my father. And I was like, all right, this is what you got to do. And I started rattling them off to him. And he completely believed it. He's like, all right, (laughs) no food after midnight. Uh, no bright. Why no 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 water? <laughs> Dad, I'm kidding you. I'm kidding you. He like he thought it was real. I was like, no, my little Yorkshire Terrier is gonna kill the dog. I was like, no, I'm kidding. It's Gremlins. He's like, oh, but yeah, it's like everyone knows that now. But it's funny because it's like, well, how, you know, I'm sure anything they're gonna give that thing to eat is gonna have water in it. 
you know, or how it, yeah, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, even you have to suspend disbelief for, right. the, for like the rest of the movie because then you have this bar scene. Oh, they're all where yeah. they're all drinking and like throwing beer on each yeah. other and nothing happens. Um, so um, we love ourselves novelizations, and there's a whole shitload of novelizations for this. I remember when I moved, we talk about it in one of the one of our casts. Yeah, because well, I remember you re- you reading the storybook. Or yeah, whatever, I, the library. I, yeah, when I moved uh, to, to one school to the other, when I changed towns, I went to this parochial school, this Catholic school, and they had a, like a library that was like a freaking like a shoebox in a, a room in, in the in the uh, schoolhouse. And I go up there, and they had the storybook version of Gremlins, but it must have been the PC version because uh, I realized last night when we watched the movie that the book actually ends when he gets the cut. And then they, they go into the, the into like the bathroom, and then he puts like the bandit on. That's the end of the story. That's, the end. <laughs> that's where it ends. And I was like, "That's it. They all live happily ever after." Okay. Um, so there must have been a, a, and that was not like a novelization, like a proper like three hundred yeah, page. Yeah. This is like a big like you know six by four four by six, and you know maybe it's thirty pages, and there's some you know drawn very yeah. well. Um, but the novelizations that was done for this movie by uh, George Guype. Um, that came out in June '84. They offer an origin for the Mogwai and Gremlins as a prologue. They they say that it was created by uh, a scientists of an alien world, but the phili- the physiology was unstable. It would result in only one in ten thousand Mogwais would be would be uh, retain sweet and loving demeanor, and the others would would change into this mischievous character. And then uh, you know that and th- they also have an immortality. Uh, if they stay as the Gizmo character, but if they turn into the Gremlin, the transformation, they'll be short-lived and very violent. And uh, that backstory is also referred to in the novelization for Gremlins too. Yeah. So, but it's not it was never part. N- of Not at all in the movie. No. Start. So we, we we always love talking about novelizations, and we always talk about we that that it's great to go if you love the movie, go read the other stuff because you they give all these yeah. random backstories that would would say never even be heard of. I had a, just the other day, I had a, it's not Gremlins related, it's a little side story. I was walking down 42nd Street and I saw Matthew Broderick. Oh, he's in a play over here. Like waiting for, trying to get a cab or something. And I never bother anybody. And so here I don't bother, I didn't bother him either. But as I walked by, I was like, you know, it would have been awesome because I have, we've talked, because one of the reasons why we talked about novelizations is because I started collecting weird novelizations. You have a crap load a of novelizations. And one of them I have is Ferris Bueller's Day Oh, off. so you have him sign the novelization? <laughs> would have been like, how weird would it have been if I walk by him? I'm like, holy shit, Matthew Broderick, will you sign this? And I pull out <laughs> well, he's, Ferris Bueller. He's right around the I'm corner. I'm like, I bet she's never signed a Ferris Bueller novelization. He's right around the corner from our studios here on 48th. He did, he's doing that thing at the Court Theater. And I saw him signing Friday night of this recording, and it was like only like three people out there. And he's signing, taking pictures, and it looked like he was really like, I wouldn't say like waiting for people to come so he can sign, but it was... So you oh, said, I, sh- I should bring it I over. Think it, yeah, I think at 10 o'clock at night, you should wait right over there. From the audience I saw, there's nobody really showing up, not to say that's a bad player, any kind of reflection on his performance, but there didn't seem a lot of people. You won't, there won't be you know people you're trying to like knock down, and I think you should be like, hey, you signed this, uh, you know, on a completely unrelated, I loved I loved you in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I loved you in this, your performance in this novelization. <laughs> Now another, you know, the, the city. Now, of course, I don't. Unfortunately, I don't have a story about Zach Galligan as good as my Lance Guest story. The guy who played, um, the, the, who plays Billy in this movie, the lead the uh, kid who gets the. the but grandma. there was a there was a time where I think Zach Galligan lived in my neighborhood because I used to see him 
all the time. <laughs> what else has he been in? Uh, the only thing that I can think of, of of note, especially for a sleepover loving crowd, would be the Waxworks movies. Oh, okay. But other than that, I don't know. But I used to see him all the time. We, you came, you met me one time. We ate. The, it's not there anymore. There used to be a sushi place called Go Sushi on Ninth Avenue. It was just like a little fast food type sushi place, and uh, he used to eat there all the time. I always used to be like sit next to him eating. <laughs> He would all be like, like once a week. I would say, I was like I would eat dinner with Zach Galligan. It'd be hilarious but we if you talk, brought, but we wouldn't talk to each other because we didn't know each it'd other. It'd be hilarious if you brought a mogwai with you, like a like a stuffed mogwai. Yeah, head I'm sure on the he would have been fucking thrilled. <laughs> what the hell? Or you have it like you have a little cassette tape and you have it start singing. Yeah, I guess that would be when I uh, when I used to edit. Well, I still edit, but back in the day when you would edit from tape, from yeah. like beta tapes, and there would always be. Uh, You'd have a beta deck, and you would put in the tape, and at the big VCR. end of the top of the tape, you would have bars and tone. Yes. Yeah. The tone. But as you would scrub through it, if you scrub through the tone, as you slowed down, as you fast and forward, you slowed down, you go, and there was one day, like, I wasn't even trying. I nailed the Mogwai's. <laughs> Scrubbing with, with tone, <laughs> with tone, it's just like woo. it's just like did the melody. I was like, holy crap! And I tried to do it again, and I could never do it again. But it's like, oh my god, I just did fucking. Gizmo That's something song. someone can do. Like you know, anybody out there who's into DJing, you know, you bring yourself to um, to beta VCRs and you know, put some big beta tapes and do that live. That'd be pretty cool. Now, one thing I want to say about uh, one thing I want to make sure we talk about Gremlins is you know, when I was originally watching it, I felt like this seems like such a low budget movie. It feels so low budget, but I think part of it is like... Well, they want to capture that. Because it's so back lot. Yeah. You know, but I think it's totally intentional because of like the attempt to do like a Frank Capra and a... The blob-ish kind of a 50s It's a wonderful life kind of thing. It's like they they tried to make it feel like these older movies that... They were totally yeah. shot like on a back lot. Because they shot this in on the West Coast, so they had the, all the snow is fake. And you can kind of tell some of the snow is fake, you know, when they're like playing around in it. Um, and it completely has, like we said, it's shot on the Back to the Future set. So it has that. And, the, and like the streets where like the, the evil woman lives, who's very much like Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful yeah, yeah. Life. You know, you could you could probably pick out like a half a dozen houses on yeah, that, yeah. that letter from other like movies. They say like the, the house of Dick Miller comes out of to look up at the antenna yeah. his house I don't forget what they said the back of the house is but the front of the house was Dennis the Menace's house oh wow and t- in the TV show that's what <laughs> the front of that so it's weird to think that like, these all these are just still sitting there like, may, you know, maybe they were sitting there as of the 80s yeah I mean, just to think of that at the time they're all still sit, like Marcus Welby's house or somebody else's the Golden Girls or <laughs> you know I mean I took that when I was in Disney like you know 30 years ago when, when Orlando opened I took that the, the MGM Studios which is not even called MGM anymore you take yeah. that Batlock tour and they had like yeah. The Golden Girls' house and all these the, the strip, which actually they, I think they would still shoot stuff on, yeah, you know, which is amazing. So I guess to propel our story, the you know they the, the guy the, the father gives our our, our guy the the, the Mogwai. of course he doesn't listen. Cor- crazy little Corey Feldman comes over, spills water with, with 
Great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, Key Luke was. It's it's very funny. Key Luke says that like a, like a half a dozen times to us. He says like you know you know with with you know power comes responsibility. <laughs> God bless you, Stanley. Yeah, yeah. God bless you, Stanley. And uh, you know they, they don't listen. They, they they abuse the damn thing, and because of all this animal abuse. Um, all these other, and they're gonna like give them away. What do we do with these things? I don't know. Should we just kill them? Yeah, we'll sell them. Yeah, we'll sell this them. It's gonna be the biggest thing ever. Yeah, should we put them in like a? Uh, we could just fucking keep. Th- and it's clearly it's painful. Yeah. When he gets wet. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, who cares? And then Court Film is like, oh, he's making that noise, make him stop. It's like, well, you fucking did it to him. <laughs> you know? But his dad's like, we'll just dump this thing in a pool and we'll just yeah. be selling millions of these all over the and country. Whichever ones we don't want, we'll put them in a pillowcase and throw them in the river <laughs> like we do with kittens. You know, it's like, this, this, it's just, and the poor dog is like, uh, and the dog also, his name is Mushroom. Played by Mushroom. Yeah, shows up in pu- Pumpkinhead, a big favorite of Blake's. Yeah. <laughs> Stan Winston's Stan pumpkin. Winston, Lance Henriksen. Yeah. Um, so this is a clear-cut case of people who shouldn't own any kind of animals. And you know what? If you listen to the Asian culture and you respected the animal, you could have a nice mogwai for the rest of your life. And we learned the mogwai speaks like Cantonese because at the end of the movie, when, when Mr. Wing comes, Key Luke, he's speaking there. He's like, oh, that's all. And, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like that. And he's I, like, you could speak? You could understand him? And he's like, well, you have to open your, eye, your ears to hear. So like splinter. Yeah. <laughs> Very good, sir. You know. Well, maybe Key Luke was the uh, model of, of Splinter. But it really shows, like, for you going back where it mistakenly sounded like I called the Asian culture ignorant. It's like, it shows how, you know, ignorant we are, the Western culture, where, like, even some of the um, the critics of this were saying, like, it just, it's a compute, like, you know, we're all about violence and television and quick, yeah. you know, excitement where, you know, Asian culture is more refined, a little more into, like, you know, the earth and well-being. And it's completely proven here where they just completely, it's hilarious at the end of it where like you learn Gizmo is like, oh yeah, you know, you know, he, he's able to, you know, to, to speak Chinese to, to, to Key Luke and he. Now I wonder, I'm going to pose this question to you. I mean, you know, we're removed from it by decades now, but um, do you think part of like this stereotype and the Chinatown and Key Luke's character are so stereotyped because... Joe Dante is going for this kind of like retro Hollywood feel with the movie. You're saying by the 1980s is the is the feeling still like that? Yeah. Or, or do you think it's just it's just like that? And everybody's like, fine. Or do you think? Like, I Joe think it Dante was painted. Yeah, I think it was. I think it, to a certain extent, it was kind of painted that way. And I'll use the example of Remo Williams. They still cast an American actor yeah, yeah, yeah. or a Caucasian as an Asian actor. And I think also because you're saying, you know, they wanted to, to add some mystery and, and have it, I, I wouldn't say in, a, in a, a foot in reality, but there is because of the turn of the century with the Chinese and the Chinese Exclusion Act they did where people hated Chinese because after they built the railroads, they didn't want them coming over here. Uh, we tried to, like, get them out of our country because we didn't understand their culture. So I think when you had the Charlie Chan, Mr. Moto films and Fu Manchu come out, it, it was because of our ignorance. Well, Charlie yeah. Chan was trying to educate us and show us that, no, Asians are nice people. But I think that became a character, of, uh, a caricature of them until, I guess you look at the 70s and 80s. I mean, you know, we were still looking at them like as the bumbling freaking Mickey, yeah. Mickey Rooney from I mean, it was that Breakfast way. of Tiffany's where he's playing Japanese. Like, yeah. oh, and it's like, that's like really like, Stereotypical, yeah. You know, it wasn't until Bruce Lee that we really had like an Asian hero. Yeah, and even (laughs) you know, even that was met with kind of you know, you know. I mean, they they like again they tried five uh, decades earlier with Charlie Chan, and that was a hit. 
and uh, to, to the film's credit, they never, no one ever disparages Charlie Chan in the movie. He's always looked at as a, as a thoughtful, you know, intelligent person. But, you know, they, it's, it's like with African-Americans in, in, in cinema or whatever. You know, they're, they're played as like step and fetcher or like bumbling until. So I think come the 80s, you know, you, you have, again, going back to we keep referencing our, ourselves. Yeah. But when we talked about, I think, the Punisher cast and maybe Big Trouble in Little China, you know, in the 80s, we were obsessed with the Far East, where you have, like, Black Rain or Year of the Dragon, these movies, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. So we, we still believe, I think, those cultures we might have looked at as backward, quote-unquote. Yeah. So they still, you know, could have the, the, the realm of the fantastic within them in Chinatown, certainly. You know, it's their own world segregated. We don't know what goes on there. It's all just bright lights, food, and yeah, neon, and Blade Runner-ish kind of looking kind of stuff. So I think, yeah, I think it was the our ignorance as a culture, not understanding them. And it lends itself to a great story. A lot of, you know, you that's, it's how cool is it to go into, a, to start a story where you go into like a curry, curry a curioso shop, yeah. and you find a freaking. Well, I mean, really, it could have been like any you know culture. I mean, it could have been some. Kind yeah, it could of have been like voodoo, Haitian. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like some kind of Haitian black magic. They could have went to a voodoo thing. shop, and he goes behind and he finds something else. And it, it I mean, it, it would be a harder story to do, but it necessarily didn't need to be a magway. It could have been like a fucking mummified hand, and you get three wishes on the damn thing. You know, <laughs> any one of those fucking things. You know, same kind yeah. of thing. You know, or it's a yeti's hand, and it brings you good luck, or you know, or whatever. So. Uh, I do like at the end of the movie that, you know, you learn not only does, like, he Luke's character, like, speak English, but he's very smart and he's telling you, it's like, it's your own fault yeah, this yeah. happened. Yeah, you dumbass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're so, <laughs> I you're so told you. I told you, great responsibility, you know. Um, and uh, I liked also how we said a couple times how Mandel did the voice, and I guess a lot of the voice work was improvised as they, they did the voice as watching the picture. So a lot of it... Uh, uh, they were remarking to what was happening on screens. So like at the very end of the movie, I rewound it to hear where you hear like they walk off the, the he, Key Luke's walking off with Gizmo in the cage and Gizmo sees the dog and goes, bye bye, woof woof. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. cute. And I guess to, to help lend itself around the world, uh, they had Howie Mandel learn phonetically a lot of terms or inside jokes to, the, to a particular culture that they were selling the movie to. So he's saying stuff in Spanish or yeah. Italian or German or whatever. And, uh, as we said as well, it's not just dubs. Like, yeah, it wasn't just dubs. Where it's like, <laughs> yeah, hello. Yeah, yeah it's like, <laughs> bye, <Yeah>. bye, Billy. <laughs> Adios, Billy. Adios, muchachos. <laughs> Gringo. Avi uh, Um And then as we get to Stripe and the Gremlins, we have the great Frank Welker comes in and he does uh, Stripe. And I guess Frank Welker, who people know as uh, either. Dr. Claw as uh, Scooby Douche. He's Shaggy. He's fr- not, not Shaggy. He's Freddy. Uh, he's Megatron. He's Soundwave. Yeah. He he suggested Howie Mandel for the role uh, to play Gizmo. And then you have a bunch of other people like Michael Winstone, M- Michael Winslow. Sorry, not Michael Winstone. Carl, Michael Winslow. Carl Winslow, Carl Winslow <laughs> from Family Matters. Uh, Michael Wins, Wins, Winslow, who um, is the African-American from the Police Academy movies. Oh, okay. Yeah, and who yeah. also is in Spaceballs. He does some voices. Peter Cullen, who plays uh, Optimus Prime or Eeyore, some of the earlier uh, Pooh Bear. Uh, he does some voices. So a lot of very talented voice actors 
uh, I think helmed by Frank Welker comes with the sh- to play yeah. the Gremlins. There's so much. Really I mean, cool. there's so many things to mention. About so I guess movie. yeah, we should segue now towards the. I mean, I think if you know the story, yeah, I mean, it's, and then so the Gremlins. Feel listen to this. You know, the <laughs> yeah, they turn you know into the metaph- metamorphosis because there's so many things to mention. We mentioned Chuck Jones. Oh yeah, so Chuck Jones shows up in there. He plays Mr. Jones in, in the, the bar at the beginning. He's not in towards the later the scene. Beginning. Yeah, he's sitting next to yeah because. That's a, that's a plot device they threw on the floor in the editing room, which I thought they could, they should have kept that uh, Billy Zach's character is an aspiring yeah, artist. Yeah. And they only mention it with Dick Miller. So it's like, are you, you know, is your book, is your things going to become in the funnies, your comic strip? Yeah, well, we see that he's drawing in the in the bar. Yeah. And that's where we see Chuck Jones. Um, and I think, you know, that's a way of capturing, like, there's so much, there's like a, I think there's like an uh, idealized version of like youth, and like, like I said, it's tough to tell how old he's supposed to be in this. Uh, not Chuck Jones. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Zach Zach Galligan's character. Yeah. Uh, but like, there's he's a, he draws, which is like our generation was very big into drawing. Yeah, he, he collects comic books. Our generation was very into comic books. It really captures like this thing. He's got us. a he's got he, a younger Corey Feldman's clearly well like nine or ten, but he still has this friendship with him because Corey Feldman's upstairs yeah, with him yeah. like hanging out. So it's like that you know it's that period of your life where you could be like seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, but you're still interacting <laughs> with the next door neighbor who's like you know eight, nine, ten. And the other thing I want to mention is like how like I feel like we all at some point wanted like the attic bedroom. Oh geez, yeah. And Billy has an attic. Yeah, a sweet attic. You know, he has he has um, a lot of homages. You have a, a poster Road Warrior up. He has rolled up when you walk upstairs. Twilight's on the movie. He's got another poster up. It could be um, like a fifties B movie. And then there's scores of uh, you see they're watching Don Siegel's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. They yeah. watch that like two or three scenes of that movie. And I think there's a, a couple other. Um, there's the the one of the last movies that Earl Flynn does where he's a race car driver. That's pretty and funny. Uh, is it Earl Flynn or Clark Gable? I'm sorry, it's Clark Gable. I always get it through that. It's but Clark it's funny Gable. because that what he was supposed to be watching there, Gizmo's watching it, and yeah. what and is what is pays off at the end when at he the gets end of the movie, into the Barbie Corvette. But what he supposed what originally what he was going to be watching it because it was owned by Warner Brothers. He was going to be watching Feed the Kitty. Oh, okay. Your uh, favorite, the Chuck Jones. Yeah. My favorite, Chuck my Jones, f- Warner Brothers uh, cartoon short. Yeah, like a Looney Tunes type short, and because the cat goes, gets into a little car and drives around, and that was going to be like the idea. Oh, for I some see. reason, it got changed because they actually because the Clark Gable movie is not a Warner Brothers movie, so they actually had to pay for the footage to That's show weird, the Clark. Do you think? Do you think they would just pick a Warner Brothers like pick like Bullet? And have yeah, yeah. like that's where it and just have see him Steve McQueen driving. And then at the end, you could just have you know. Now what's funny is the long shot is, uh, Corey Feldman comes up into the attic. Yeah, with, like with the glass of orange juice or whatever. And in the long shot, you can see on the TV is actually the Chuck Jones short. Feed the cat. Yeah, that's hilarious. That's a great. That's a great uh, short. If you guys don't know oh, Feed the it's cat, the best. Maybe we'll put it's a Chuck link Jones to that. that is best. I mean, Chuck Jones. It. Reason why the Chuck Jones thing is so important is because for me, like Chuck Jones is one of my all-time favorite directors of all time. Yeah, and, I and people co- say, "What do you mean he's a director?" And I collect his art. I collect, you know, and uh, you've got a couple original Chuck Jones, which we've talked about in some other cat side casts we've done, and stuff which will re- get reposted. What's up, Doc? I mean, he does like some of the so many of the great Looney Tunes things. I mean, he created like. Uh, you know, Riley Coyote and Roadrunner and Pepe Le Pew and but yeah. uh, so Chuck Jones is in it, so that's it's a big deal for me. I love Chuck Jones. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the great the, Chuck, Chuck Jones documentary? There's one called Chuck oh, Jones. Oh, it's uh, 
It's got uh, a crazy name. Yeah, it's like that. something Chuck Jones, and it's, it's a great. And Joe Dante's in it. And yeah. So is Spielberg, and uh, yeah, there is. Uh, it's got a weird name to it, or yeah. else I would, we would, I would remember it. Yeah, and if you, if anybody's interested in a film out there, go watch Looney Tunes, man. It's just amazing how they the stuff they're able to accomplish in those little Warner. I mean, this is like a love letter, like we said to the Frank Capra. It's a Wonderful Life movies of specifically Christmas time era movies. Uh, movies of Warner Brothers, I think, in the late '30s, where it's a lot of like the arsenic and old lace again, Frank Capper, where it's like people know each other, yeah, yeah. friend, little town, Thomas Rockwell. It's a love letter, and you got, and you got the, and, but yeah, so you always have like the one nasty person, yeah, the one, the, the, the Mister, the Mister Potter of the, you know, she. I think they said that it's either she's going to make a strip mall or she's going to make a chemical company. She's going to yeah. sell because she owns the land. Then this is a love letter to like the '50s B movies of like the Blob or it came from outer space or Invaders from Mars. And then this is also like a love letter to like I think everything Warner Brothers, you know, to yeah. like the you know you have the Chuck Jones references, you have, um, so the father to get him out of the plot, he goes, he's an inventor, and that's also why it's a it's a uh, they say it's a it's a critique on uh, Western civilization because he's trying to invent new things. And yeah, I think you know, there's a lot of we'll get into it more. I don't want to take a sideline uh, the track you're on, but we'll get into it more. There's a lot of theories about like what this movie said. Yeah, and one of them is like an anti-technological. Yeah, stance. and because of the Gremlins themselves are so uh, their origins are so based with technology of airplanes and World War II or whatever. So the, to get the father out of the script, he leaves again to go to a conference, and it's hilarious when he's calling home from the conference. There's there's two scenes. There's a lot going on in those two shots of him calling home. You have first, he's on the payphone, and I think the payphone next to him is the first shot. It's, it's Jerry Goldsmith on the, Gold, phone, yeah. the phone. You have um, uh, going around the, the phone bank is uh, a motorized wheelchair. And you can't see, but it's Steven Spielberg. Yeah, Spielberg sitting in the chair. He's in the he's in the motor because they're at like a, a science fiction convention. And you have yeah. Robbie the robot walking around, and it's see, voiced. I don't know if it's supposed to be a science fiction convention or just like if it's supposed to be like an invention. Oh, okay. Conference. I thought it was like a sci- science fiction. But it invention. is. There's so many of these like yeah. sci- science fiction things, like Robbie the robot. But I feel like Robbie the robot's supposed to be like somebody invented it for this conference. Oh, I see. Okay, because it's, it's Robbie the robot, and I think it's voiced by I, f- I forget the, the gentleman's name who does who does Robbie the robot. I think it's voiced by him, and he's unaccredited. He's Robbie the robot's walking around. Then we have two. It's two shots. So the first shot, he's talking on the phone, and he's like, "Hey, is everything okay?" And over his left shoulder, you see the um, time machine. Time machine from the Rod Taylor movie, and there's people around it. And then it cuts to um, his wife, or who's talking to Billy at home. He's talking to his wife. And then it cuts back to him for the second shot, and he's still on the phone. And you see over his left shoulder. Yeah, yeah. You pick that out. The time machine's gone. And everybody's like looking around. Yeah, and, yeah, and there's a black. <laughs> There's like a black burn mark on the carpet, and like there's like a couple Asian guys like waving their arms to make sure it's not there from like some trick of like mirrors or yeah, whatever. So it's yeah. like it, it went either to the it's past. It's a great or little sight gag, but it's so in the background. You can't that, like, tell. I never noticed it before. Yeah, until this. you. Yeah, and especially like Steven Spielberg there, and then and then Robbie Robots on the phone too, and yeah, and, yeah. and there's a second. I think there's a second scene where he calls again, and Robbie the Robots on the phone, and Robbie yeah, the yeah. Robots spewing his dialogue from Forbidden Planet, where he's like. Uh, it, it, um, He's talking about when the when the guy's asking to make whiskey for him. It's like it it, it promotes corrosion. It's twenty, you know, <laughs> yeah, that would yeah. make two thousand leagues. So there's a lot of inside jokes there. And Robbie the Robot is Warner Brothers through Forbidden Planet. So um, also the mother. Oh uh, yeah, she's she's great in it. She's the mom from Back to the Future. She plays Lorraine's mom in Back to the Future. Yeah, um, Leah Thompson's character. Yeah, uh, she's also she's in something else. 
But uh, that's yeah. But she's great in this. I mean, I feel and like Spielberg. We forgot to say he executive produced um, Back to the Future too. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things that's uh, that's see, you, it's all the dark movies. It's like yeah. he went on. I think he executive produced Two Frame Roger Rabbit too. That's a fucking dark movie. <laughs> you know, they're 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 yeah, they're yeah. killing cartoons in that movie. Judge Dredd or Judge Dredd. Dredd Judge, Judge, Dredd. Judge Dredd. I am the law. Yeah. I am the law. <laughs> Judge Dooms in that killing. It's like it's there's such there's such dark. I guess it's like with fairy tales, you know. It's like the dark, uh, you know, any fairy tale, the uh, good Grimm's fairy tale. Well, is I dark. think that's like I think that's where the rules come from. And oh yeah, it's it's, it's just you a, know it's, it's like an you know to... those fairy tales are like morality tales. So there's you know I feel like there is this with this movie specifically there is like this. Her mom's Frances Lee McCain. She's in Scream. I wonder if she plays like the picture. Like Nev Campbell's mom. Oh, maybe in, pic- in the pictures, but she's in she's in some stuff, and she's really great, and she's great in this. And I and think she, it's great how she she, you know, at the beginning of the movie, she's very bumbling and not bumbling, but she's you know you could tell she's you know she 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 hides her intelligence to the point where she like lets her husband the yeah. inventions suck, yeah, but she's yeah. she loves them. So, so she work for the first yeah. few weeks, and, and then but then once the gremlins start taking over, she like fuck. she's Rambo, you know. <laughs> She's so badass. Yeah, she becomes like that '80s female. There is something about moms, I think, that they, you know, there's this. I don't know if it's the they've gone through childbirth. (laughs) Yeah, she's just a badass. They've been through like the worst pain, so you know she's she's yeah. There's no hesitation. She's she goes at these things. She's tough. She's a tough broad. Yeah, Uh, I I love that about about the movies that she kind of. She's not scared. I mean, she is scared, but it's not like no. But she's oh, not. Yeah, it's like it's not I like a damsel in distress. It's, it's, it's like, like fight she or flight. Two she's fight. Yeah, she's you know. And that gets into the gorier aspects of this movie because when you, when the gremlins show up, there's still some pretty messed up. She puts one in the microwave and blows it up, and people yeah. were worried. Well, that's like a big. Uh, it's one of the most memorable things I think about this movie. I think that's one of those things that people remember. Yeah, she she she, she puts some the one of the gremlins in the microwave, turns it on, and people were worried that like kids were going to do that with their pets because I guess yeah, that was yeah. an urban legend which I hope the fucking god that didn't promote that as well as she stabs one of the one of the gremlins with a knife and I guess they had a cutaway that they didn't use because they thought it was too gory of the gremlin trying to get the knife out but if you look at over her shoulder while she puts the other gremlin in the microwave you could see that gremlin has been impaled and he's stuck on the counter and he's still trying to get the, the, the and that's such a great effect and yeah. segueing to these gremlins they're all animatronic. It's pre-CGI. I mean, yeah. I'm sure we have some stop motion, a good deal of it. There's probably a little animation where they have silhouettes and stuff like that. But just the thing that these are all practical, uh, you know, on-set miniature animatronic or oh, totally. or, I mean, or this movie marionettes would be so different if it was made today. No, oh, it would be all it would be all CGI. You know, I don't know if that's for better or for worse because for me. I haven't seen this in probably 20 years. So, I mean, it's a tad dated, you know, even so with the with the gremlins and, you know, how they, they they show themselves and what's going on. But even though the gremlins in the second one, clearly there's a sequel for this movie. They throw more money at it. They, Rick Baker comes and does the effects for the second one. Um, the, the gremlins in the second one are much more, like, expressive. Uh, you know, it's, like, it's, a, it's a step up. In terms of like what the effects could do for the second one, it's also the second one comes out a few years later. So yeah, just eighty four to nineteen ninety, yeah, yeah. So just I mean, in six years, the technology kind of got advanced. But even with like the primitiveness of 
what they were doing in Gremlins in the first movie is uh I mean it's still, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean and and the way it's just that it's, it's it's another one of those things of like a study in filmmaking because the the gizmo gremlin the Gris, the gizmo like the mogwai doll was so tiny that they couldn't do a lot of it so uh, you know the expressiveness so <laughs> it's the old star trek 2 rathacon yeah, so it's like it all the close-ups are like this giant mogwai head. Yeah. It's like two feet wide. <laughs> I reference... But re- it's so seamless. Yeah. In this, you know, like the filmmaking of it is so brilliant. I reference Wrath of Khan because the scenes where Paul Winfield gets that, that fucking... And, sn- and check off. Yeah, yeah check off. Yeah, that snail in his ear. Thing. Yeah, the, 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 they cut to the insert of the ear, and the ear is actually like 10 feet by 10 feet long <laughs> to get, you know, to, to get an awesome close-up to think of this huge ear they're shooting, so... Where you're saying that the the inserts of the yeah. close-ups of the of the, um, of the Mogwai's eating or even just expressive yeah, the, the eating or I mean just they had like, to do you think about how big they had to make to, to, to get an expressive then they had to fake chicken wings to be that scale yeah, as yeah. well you know the eating the uh, uh, gizmo in the backpack all those cutaway shots where he's in the backpack with like the giant with the pencils and stuff yeah that's all a giant. Mogwai yeah. in a giant backpack, and as well as the one when, where he's when he's when he's yeah. face down and he's multiplying. They had to blow up all those comic books to be the right size. That's amazing. And then those laying on those comic those books. those things that are popping off that are going to be gremlins or like uh, balloons that are you know. And it's just yeah. it's it's a it's a kind of filmmaking you don't see anymore. And this this the um, the the man who did this the uh, the filmmaker Chris Wallace Chris Wallace yeah Wallace. W a l a s. Yeah, he he did the special effects to, him, to here, and hats off to him. And I guess it got harder for him because he said, I guess from when they started designing everything, the the intention kind of still was that um, Gizmo was going to turn into Stripe. Yeah. So they had only designed the Mogwai Gizmo stuff to only for the first half of the movie. So for them to do all the bits on the second and third acts. He's like, oh my god! He had to, you know, fabricate all that stuff of him. Yeah, apparently it was like there was a very tight, uh, probably budget, but schedule-wise, it was really tight. And they were making all these fur coats, and then they realized that they they didn't have Spielberg's, didn't sign off on anything yet. And they're like, we need Spielberg to sign off on the Mogwai. Fucking Spielberg. ASAP. Like we can't go back and forth with them because because Gizmo's in so much in the movie. So what they did was they changed the color of Gizmo to be that like that light. Brown and white because it was the it was the same colors as Spielberg's cocker spaniel. That's and then, weird. And they're like, if we show him this, he'll like he'll like it because it'll remind him of his dog. And did it work? I guess. Yeah, so he he okayed it, and that became what Gizmo was. That's amazing. Because they just they couldn't you know they couldn't go with like design back and forth with 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 anybody because the, the schedule was so tight like we need him to do it it's cute if we it will make it it'll, it'll like subconsciously remind him of his dog that's amazing um marvin miller is the the actor who played the i'm getting from my the interns uh, robbie the robot the voice the unaccredited it's amazing just all the um uh the, the 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 effects that went into this, the hours it must have taken oh, yeah, yeah. for for just you know they said that there was times where if the animatronics wouldn't work, you know it was just got so agonizing on set. Well, I think that's one of the reasons why the anime why animation became such a big thing was this, this idea of like being able to control it in post production as opposed to uh, the hours, the wasting of time on set with the you know union guys waiting around for things to work. I think that's why animation became so 
came like the go-to was because of like the in the unpredictability of practical effects sometimes. You think that's set. what kind of went maybe a lot of reasons why people jump on jumped on CGI. I think that's as well. why like from a business standpoint, yeah, it became like we'll do it. The setups like you always comment on um, on Carpenter's The Thing. Where yeah, it's like yeah. you think of how long it took for like that scene where the shit came out of the guy's stomach, and, and the it's first like, time it fucking exploded, they had to clean everything up and do it again. Yeah, and it's like you. Think well, they about say even with Gremlins when the thing gets like in the blender. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the first time they just like sprayed the entire room in green, and the entire crew, you know, it was like they then they had to clean all that shit. Up yeah, you think of how much and time do it, and, and do we, it again. We just talked about it two weeks ago for our Invasion USA cast, where it's like you know for a, a, an effect just as a machine gun going off, and yeah. all it takes just to make bullet holes, and you're not, you're not fi- actually firing bullets, and just how time consuming all this is. So. You know, you're, yeah, you're waiting around where literally the cast at some points is falling asleep because it's taking four hours. I mean, that's the in-joke in Hollywood and TV and television, TV and television, movies and television, where it's like, just hurry up and wait. Yeah, you know, yeah. People are just, that's, you just paid to wait on set. But to, so, I mean, it's unfortunate because it, it kind of paved the way for the idea that, you know, animation was a... Computer animation was a more like uh, economically Easy, feasible, cost effective, cost effective. But uh, things have suffered. Yeah, I, I mean, mean it, can you imagine what this movie would be like with cartoons? Well, I, I don't want to. I was going to leave this to the end of the cast, but they have talked about that there's going to be a a, a, a reboot. Yeah. Now, in, in 2013, um, there's uh, some sort of publication called Vulture. They they said that Warner Brothers was negotiating with Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment to do a reboot of Gremlins. Yeah. And then um, in November of this year, 2015, Zach Galligan confirmed that the third movie will be a sequel, not a reboot. Now, I'm going to, you know, Deanna and I talk about, you know, ideas being stolen. Yeah. And how we should keep things on the wrap. I'm going to, I'm going to. Uh, Go on the- record. Theater of the mind right yeah, now. Yeah. I want everybody to close their eyes. That's <laughs> listening. I'm going to give you what should be the idea for the next movie. Okay. Hold the score. Teaser trailer. I mean, of course, because we're talking about it in the context of Gremlins, you have to imagine that you don't know this yet. This is the surprise. There's a, there's a reveal. But in the open teaser up, trailer. You open up, it's a teaser trailer. It's, you know, it's space. We hear, like, you know, the classic 80s. Uh, trailer voice, like they say in space, no one can hear you scream kind of thing. In a world. We see a fucking egg. We play this up like it's the next Alien movie. Yeah. Forever. Like, But then at the end of the trailer, as it's like, you got, you got the intense music, they're playing it up, you're like, uh, you know, and then it's like, you say something catchy, like, but in space, it's always after midnight or some <laughs> shit. Oh, I see. And the alien egg is not an alien egg. It's the cocoon. Of a gremlin. For a gremlin. So, and then it's like, and then the music pops up. And then you so see it come out. And you really play it up, and then it's like, and then it's like, and then you can have like the thing. You can have like a finger Then you can do like they did in, yeah. You can have the hand come up over the thing. out of the pot. you hear like Frank Welker like, out of the pot. And then you can do like what they did with like gremlins, the new batch, which is then like the film. Oh, breaks and you're like, ah, and they're running around. You see their silhouettes. There you go. Gremlins right. in space, my friend. That's where. That's what they should do. Imagine that they do like Sandra Bullock and George Clooney on the space station. <laughs> Joe, la, 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 Joe Dante, you can steal. You can take that one. So, um, 
let's see. Uh, how, how do we move around here with this? Because there's so so much to. to and we're, well, I think we're we should do a couple of thi- couple of things. I think should be brought up. Uh, like the the, the th- themes in this movie. There's so much going on in terms of like how this could be perceived in terms of like social and political whatever. And there's this running theme, which I think is part of the Capra thing, which is like the like uh, everybody's you know the money. Is is a problem. Everybody's behind on their bills. They've got the woman that owns half the town. So there's this ongoing thing about. Oh, and she's like the other. There's another woman. It's like, please give us some time with the rent. And then she's like, no, you should pay on time, or you shouldn't be, you know, freaking. And we find out that like. And then the the, the mothers, the kids are like, mommy, I'm hungry. She's like, I'm hungry too. <laughs> so we have this and the the, the bank and uh, there's a lot of that going on. Like people, are hard, this town is hard. Uh, you know, there's yeah. some hard times going on. Yeah, the, the, the noodle factory closed. The, the noodle the, the, factory be fine. And Dick Miller lost his job, and there goes his future in noodles. And we find out that it's also hinted at that like they're behind on you know yeah. Billy's family as well. Well, I think stuff. what's happened is that Mrs. Um, Deagle has skyrocketed the rent because she wants to evict everybody so she can sell the land yeah. to either the, the, the chemical plant yeah, or the yeah. strip mall yeah. and totally destroy Kingston Falls. So we have that going on, which is part of what you were talking about, like the Western civilization. Like this, There's like this fall of, <laughs> of you know, uh, of... You know, like the culture in terms in the key Luke, the, he hates the you know you let him watch TV. <laughs> you know that's like a very uh, uh, you know the, the evil thing to point to, especially like in the eighties. And you talk about like this is a movie that becomes like kind of uh, you know controversial because of yeah you yeah. know violence and stuff. Um, so we have like all that going on. You have uh, the Gremlins. You could always you could point to in in any of the, like the sci-fi horror the reason why sci-fi and horror can be so great is because you can like satirize or like impose any kind of uh, meaning onto it and it becomes a way to tell a, to comment on what's going on today but if you put it in sci-fi terms it becomes uh, easier to to kind of take yeah like Star Trek was able either to do Star it. Trek or Invasion of the, the many remakes of Invasion of the Body Snatchers are always a comment on what's going on in that time and we talked a lot about this with the thing and the AIDS epidemic and all that stuff and so Gremlins becomes this thing where you can you can project things onto it and and the thing about Gremlins is you can kind of project Whatever the hell you want, you I can, think. Whatever you want, and it can change throughout yeah. the movie. Like, uh, there's parts of the movies where the gremlins could be, you know, like teenagers. You know, yeah. it's like the way <laughs> you could comment on the way, like, 80s teenagers are, yeah, you know, the youth and is changing. And, you know, um, then they become little kids because then they sit and they watch Disney movies. Yeah. They're all quiet when they're watching, like, you know, so, on television, they grasp there. So they're, it's the atef- attention deficit until. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like a, a comment on that, and you can even go darker and disparaging towards like you know allegations of racism, even. Yeah, well, that's the thing. There's always been this thing about uh, is it is it, is there a racist message with Gremlins? Yeah. And, it's and I never heard this it, before. I I've never heard, knew. I've heard it, but I've never. You really heard that there was like uh, I, I've heard that it was a theory. Yeah, that like somebody read into it that this was that like the Gremlins represent. African Americans don't they have anything better to do to just to just start t- you know projecting. Well, that's their... my question. Is like you know part of it is they they talk about uh, uh, since its release, some people have criticized Gremlins as being culturally insensitive. Some observers have argued that the film presents Gremlins as African Americans. 
Yeah, they, they shoot examples of them eating uh, fried chicken. <laughs> fried chicken uh, with their hands. Yeah, eating. They, they, here's some of the fried chicken with their hands. Um, they, they are, div- yeah. Uh, they break dance. They break dance. They're listening to quote unquote black music. They're wearing sunglasses after dark. If anybody's <laughs> ever seen Joe Dante, I've never seen Joe Dante without sunglasses on. He's there's a featurette of him at Chinatown yeah. doing the Chinatown stuff at night, and he's wearing sunglasses. And they're also wearing like newsboy caps and some other stuff, which was a style that African Americans had in the '80s. Now, here's my question: Is is Gremlins racist? Or is the person that reads this into it racist? You know what? You're, you're, you're now. See, this is you're, this is a broader question that becomes very geopolitical because people nowadays people find fault with anything. Yeah. You know, people throw. Uh, they can look into. I mean, you know, uh, just now, well, Star Wars is coming out, okay? And I've heard now people calling the original Star Wars racist. Why? Because uh, certain people are saying that. Star Wars is racist because young Anakin Skywalker was white. He went to the dark sky side. He became a black man as Darth Vader, voiced by James Earl Jones. So he's evil, so he's black. And then at the end of the movie, when he's good again, he gets good again, they take his mask off, he's white again. And it's like, don't you have anything better to do? So I think you can, there's people out there, you know, and we don't want to pick political sides of left, right, conservative, uh, liberal. But there's people out there who you can, they will project anything they want onto anything. And it gets to nowadays people saying that our, our culture is too PC. Or people don't want to offend this faction or this faction or this faction. Where it's like, I want to just, it, going back to the parallel to the great, great Saturday Night Live skit of the 1980s where, where William Shatner is on because he was doing TJ Hooker at the time. And he goes to a Star Trek convention in the skit. And he's like, guys, lighten up. It was just a show, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's like, look at you. He's like, you ever kiss a girl? He's like, you know, you probably still live in your parents' basement. And people got offended by that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like, it's like Star Wars. People, somebody called people Star Wars nerds. Yeah. And there was a backlash with, it was a female who did it. And they were like saying, we're going to anally rape you with our lightsaber. It's like, <laughs> dude, it's a, it's, who cares? It's yeah. a joke. Chill it, out. Yeah, just relax. So I completely, I personally... Personally, my my own opinion is I think I think that some people look to have problems, yeah, and if yeah. you're going to look at everything under a racist lens, you can find racism anywhere. You yeah, can yeah. call freaking billiards racist because every ball on there is colored, and the white ball is hitting, and then the last ball you throw in is the big bad black <laughs> ball. Anything you can find is yeah, racist. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I think there. I mean, I think especially in the bar scene, I think there are things you can point to where it is maybe, uh, you know, going for some kind of like black cultural thing. I but think I, it's going for like but, a laugh, though. But I think there's a million examples in the bar scene that aren't. You know, there's like a Olivia Newton-John. Yeah, parody. dancing, you know, flash dance, and it's <laughs> flash, like, you know, or, or yeah, or flash, or dance, just you know, be, there's 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 a gremlin cross dressing. Does that mean they're they're, they're disparaging all cross dressers? Saying that, it's just it's know, very funny because never in a million it like I feel like, and I want you know I don't I don't know the person that made these claims and uh, you know I don't it does say on the Wikipedia page. What yeah, it it's a Patricia Turner writes it's, writes that uh, on the. I don't know Patricia Turner. I yeah, don't even know. She wrote in, I don't uh, know even know what rate. ceramic uncles and celluloid mammies. That's the book she wrote. So. I don't know if she's white or black. I don't know anything about her. But what I will say is that like it takes a 
It takes a certain eye to look at a bunch of gremlins eating fried chicken. And say that's racist. And say that it's a comment on black people. I mean, if they were instead eating spaghetti, would they say, fuck, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, it's Mario, is, does that mean Mario Luigi or freaking <laughs> disparaging Italians, you know, those greasy sons of bitches? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's like, you know, I don't, I think you can find fault with anything. I'm yeah. sure if we went back and rewatched Gremlins, you know, and what about, is she disparaging? I'm sure people, you know, from an Asian culture would think that some of the stuff I'm even surprised, to be honest, and, you know, this is like, you know, if you're going to... If look, you're going to find anything, you know, find fault with them, you know, um, you know, stereotyping the Chinese in this movie, I think. I mean, there's some, yeah, I mean, there's a million things you could look at. You could pick any stereotype. Yeah. And I'm surprised that it doesn't, you know, there's not more. Like, because you could read anything into anything. You can, you can, it could be ageism. It could be, like you said, anti-technology. It could be, I think the, 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 the one thing is, I think, disparaging against the Chinese. We just brought yeah. up a, six hours ago we started this cast. <laughs> when because of the ignorance of the Western yeah. culture, we're still envisioning them living in, like, the shadows of Chinatown. But in terms of... So why can't Patricia Turner bring that up? Why yeah. does she just got to say it's, it's all about African-American racism, you know? And you're right. And then, of course, and then we go towards the end. If we're looking at more themes or things to read into it, we do have this, like, as you said, like this, you know, with great... You know, with uh, great power comes great responsibility. Uh, Key Luke gives a great speech about uh, you do what you do with everything. You know, nature's gifts or whatever you yeah. ruin everything. And I think that's like the that's like the code of the movie. That's the best speech. People should walk away with Key Luke is saying, and he's like, he's right. He's like, step back and smell the roses, man. Yeah, Wilo suck. Yeah. <laughs> He's, you know, and he's right. It's like, you know, we, we, we kill everything, man. So, <laughs> hey, man, you know, just relax, you know? So, um... And uh, the other thing I think is important to mention... This is, is going back to, like, like the our, our Harry and the Hendersons cast. We keep referencing ourselves. <laughs> but, like, we sound like... Man, we are so great. <laughs> yeah. But when we talk about this and that, where it's like, you know, we destroy... Mankind destroys everything, you know? They, they, they eradicate species and all that kind of thing. And Key Luke's right. Just, you know... Chill out. Yeah, relax, man. Listen to the Mogwai singing. <laughs> Just chill out and listen to the Mogwai singing, man. You gotta chill out. You gotta <laughs> listen to the Mogwai singing, man. Take some time to smell the roses and yeah. listen to the Mogwai. Bye, bye, Wolf, Wolf. Uh, and then the uh, the other thing I think is important. You brought up the novelization, but uh, because this movie is such a success, uh, with sex with success comes uh, criticism, homage. Homage or ripoffs? Yes. So we, oh Jesus, yes. So in the eighties, <laughs> you had a whole. You're right. There's a there was a whole subgenre that was kind of like riding the the Gremlins train. Yeah. So we get critters, ghoulies. We love them both. Great movies. Yeah. Troll, hobgoblins. I don't remember. I don't know hobgoblins. I know Troll and Troll Two, and then a classic Roger Corman movie, which is. Uh, it would take a certain kind of person to like this movie. Okay. I'm not going to say, uh, <laughs> I don't want to disparage anybody that I likes this movie. Because, you know, we all have, we all, we all have the, the movies that, that mean something to us that other people don't care for. But Munchies is another classic. I don't even know Munchies. It's a, produ- it's a Roger Corman produced, like, 80s Gremlins ripoff. Wow. Well, that sounds uh, exactly like a ripoff. Munchies. It's a, <laughs> which it's a I, Gremlins uh, ripoff. Which I, I think I bought it for, like, the Hastings one year. Dave, who I did the Silver Bullet cast, uh, there's one person post, like, junior high that I've had more sleepover movie uh, things, uh, events with, other than Dion would be Dave <laughs> and his brother. More more sleepover view- viewings. Uh, 
with those two guys. So uh, I think I bought the munchies because it was like $3 at like Coconut Video in Portchester. You remember? Yeah. <laughs> remember that store? That, that old, and, by the uh, old Portchester diner. And the great thing about it was like in the, the trailers on the disc, it was like for this whole like White Wolves series yeah. of like adventure, you know, like uh, wilderness adventure movies. And like it seemed like every single one starred somebody from Saved by the Bell. It was, and then it was like it got so <laughs> it got so weird it was like White Wolves that it was White Wolves 2 you know like Secret of the Ooze Call of the Wild White Wolves 2 or something like that and then the next one was like uh, Secret of the White Wolf it was like White Wolves 2 Secret of the White Wolves 3 <laughs> it was like it was such a weird but it was like uh, that was my Munchies experience. I remember the trailers more than I remember the movie. That's like almost calling a movie like Bright Light, Bright Light. You know, it's like, <laughs> it um, was like Star Wars 2. You know, it was like New Hope 3. Oh, uh, that's that's amazing. It's, it's, it, people just get us all riled up. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so many uh, Gremlins movies. Gremlins, homages, rip-offs, however you want to say it. Um, um we, came out after we some have, of them good yeah Critters I love or I've loved it in 85 when it came out and, and Ghoulies too uh, with a young what's her face um, from uh, SVU um, uh, Mariska Haggerty Hargitay Haggerty he's looking sweet as beautiful as all hell in that and like I think she's in Ghoulies 1 or 2 uh, with Michael DeBarnes from Murdoch from MacGyver um, to quickly play our what if game uh, they had. They were thinking of either Emilio Estevez or Judd Nelson as the Emilio lead. Emilio Estevez. Wow. Oh. From uh, to, to play Zach. Uh, they also auditioned Pat Hingle, a favorite of mine, as the father Hoyt um, Hoyt's character. But they said his his, uh, which is a weird criticism, that his reading was so good they didn't want to give it to him. Yeah, well, you know, that is that is he delivered, weird. He delivered the best screen test, but he was passed because it feared that his character would take over the picture because of his excellent performance, which hmm. is like, okay. That's like, yeah, that's backwards like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're so good for this you're part. So, you're so good that we can't we, give we you the can't, job. Yeah, so Sorry. Just go play Commissioner Gordon, Pat Hingle. The other weird thing, so many little nods or little Easter eggs. When uh, the gremlins are messing with Dick Miller's antenna, yeah. One of the things that comes up on a scream is uh, a favorite movie of mine. Do you mean the foreign movie that he Yeah, used to Orpheus watch? from 1950 by Jean Cocteau. And he's like, what a foreign film. What's so funny? It's such an oddball choice. I mean, it's a fantastic movie. What is it, a horror movie? No, it's, uh, I mean, Cocteau, Cocteau, we could, I could talk about Cocteau forever. I mean, he was one of my favorite f- filmmakers that I discovered when we were in, in school. He He's best known, I think, for that. Um, that French black and white Beauty and the Beast okay. um, version of that story, which is a fantastic movie. But my favorite movie of his is, is this movie Orpheus, which is based on an old, you know, obviously like an older kind of legend. Um, it's a fantastic movie um, that's like an updated version of this old tale about how this guy dies and he wants to come back to be with his wife and whoever God or whoever is in this, whoever the take of the story is says you can go but she can't she can never look at you and that's like the shtick <laughs> you know it's like an old 
one of those kinds of stories. But it's a, it's it's a fantastic. I love that. I love the movie, but it's such a weird choice. And you, did you? It was a surprise to you, like, oh my god. Well, I remember when we were in college and I fell in love with that movie. I remember watching Gremlins. I'd be like, holy shit, there's Orpheus. Um, and then you know, Cocteau did a movie called Black Orpheus. It was the thing that he. A, a, a kind of thing that he he went back to many times, but um, what an odd! It's just one of those weird things because it's also like nothing. It's not like one of those things where you would comment. It's like an older movie that comments on you know, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Is like it's that's happening while they're becoming pods. You know, yeah. it's like a comment on what's something in the movie. Whereas Orpheus has nothing to do with anything in the movie. It's just like a little bit of like weird film. Culture, yeah, and it's funny. He's like a foreign movie. <laughs> he hates all foreign stuff. I love that. So um, I recommend Orpheus, 1950. We, we should before we start wrapping up um, and, and getting our outro, talk about the big controversial um, monologue that's given in this movie. Oh yes, how could we not? It's the yeah. fucking elephant in the room. Yeah. So it, it, and it's so frightening because you go into this movie as I'll take myself as an example. Hey, it's it's going to be a fun kids movie, and of course it's not. It's it's a it's a horror movie that it's comedic, or you know, I yeah. guess it's marketed to children, so it's yeah, even yeah. more of like a bait and switch. And then you have this really fucked up, like almost like um, it's the most memorable thing in the movie. I said like the two things I think people come away with in this movie are like I would say the theme, the theme song, the gremlin in the in the microwave. Yeah. I think it's something that sticks with people. And then and Gizmo, like, and then this. Yeah, and then this. This, this like this especially it's the really thing. crazy monologue. And I don't think it's something. I think it's something that like our generation didn't. At least I didn't think too much about it until like when you get older and you're like, oh yeah, remember that? Like that was so screwed up. Yeah. So it's based on this urban legend. Is it really an urban legend? That's what they say. I don't know. I've never heard it because me growing up, you know, uh, the old um, Black Christmas slash. Um. Uh, what's the Charles Zerning movie? Oh, uh, uh, what you check your calls. Yeah, that that's an urban legend where the killer's in the house. Yeah, yeah. Or the urban legend of the guy with the hook killing people at the at the lovers' lane is an yeah, urban yeah. legend. But I never heard of like your dad going down a chimney and dying. Well, apparently, <laughs> apparently it was maybe for Joe Dante's generation. But this is apparently is in the original script, but it's not delivered by the Phoebe Cates character. It's actually delivered by the manager of the McDonald's in the scene that didn't yeah, make yeah. it into the original movie now what i think okay so i would imagine that you know that everybody knows the story she tells the story it's it's played up she hates christmas yeah played up in the beginning it's she's it's she doesn't like christmas and she doesn't get into it in the beginning the payoff is in the midst of all this you know shit going on she's like oh now i have another reason to hate christmas and he's like what what is it like what are you talking about so she relays this story fantastic delivery too um about how when she was like eight years old or something. And I don't know how in a small town <clears throat> like Zach Gallant Billy doesn't know this story already. Yeah, you think everyone would know that. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe the parents just kept it away from the kids. Yeah, or like you, know, you figure in a small town everybody would know. Yeah. That, you know, Phoebe Cates had a dad. That died you know in the why chimney. she doesn't have a dad anymore? Because <laughs> that motherfucker died in a chimney. So Christmas Eve, dad doesn't come home. Christmas, they're just putting together the lights or whatever. Dad doesn't come home. They call the office. He's not at the office. Days pass. Nobody knows what happened to him. Disappears. She! It's cold in the house. I don't know. I was never allowed to light a fire when I was little. Yeah. But 
Well, she's got a fireplace, so maybe she's... <laughs> I know, but even, like, my fireplace. My dad would like the fire in the yeah. fireplace. I wasn't... She, it's cold. She decides to light the fire. That's when she discovers the smell. Yeah. This is, like, five or six days later. They call the end. It, it happens when they light the fireplace. So yeah. she's cooking her dad in a fucking... He dresses... The father dresses up. Spoiler alert. Dresses up as... She's going to surprise the family. Yeah. He dresses up as, as Santa Claus... Goes down. Goes the idea to go down the chimney. He's gonna come down the chimney with all the presents. He breaks his neck going down and gets lodged in there, and, yeah. and he's dead. And then they I tear th- open the tr- chimney. They find him. Yeah, but I think that the, the the last sentence she says, and that's also when I found out there wasn't Santa. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh God, that's a two for right <laughs> that's there. That's how she found out there was no Santa Claus. So this is like this has been this is the thing we referred to in the beginning of the movie. Warner Brothers had a bug up their ass about this scene. Oh, well, rightfully so. And they're like, you can't, you need to cut this yeah, scene this is out. A, you know, this is, you know. But their explanation. Aren't we marketing this to kids? <laughs> That's what Warner's keep saying. <laughs> Isn't this supposed to be a children's movie? But their explanation is, I find interesting, because to me there's nothing funny about that story. No. Their explanation is, it's ambiguous as to whether this is supposed to be horrific or funny. Are we supposed to laugh at this? Or cry at this. And, J- and Joe Dante is like, that's exactly why we need to keep it because that's the tone of the movie. Yeah, you don't like, know a... if it's supposed to be funny. And Joe Dante talks about, like, this is, it's a funny story, but if somebody actually told you this story, it's horrific. To me, there's nothing funny about this no, story. No, I don't think that's funny at all. <laughs> that's why I don't understand how he won that argument. <laughs> like, so this is the thing we talk about. I mean, about. the only thing that I understand is, like, it, it's a. It's so over of, the top and out of place in the movie well, that maybe that could be. It lends itself funny. To, it's no. I think it. The only reasoning I see is that there is very. There's a lot of comedic elements within the movie, and this is one of the elements that is very serious that lends itself to be horrific. So that it gives further evidence that it straddles the line between yeah, the comedy yeah. and horror. But I can't see any point in this monologue, which is like that's fucking hilarious. But huh? yeah, there's this thing. The keep of, it's a recurring thing when you research this, where it's like, is it funny? Is it not funny? Joe Dante's like, it's a funny story, but in this context, it's not funny. I don't, see I don't think in any context. I don't think funny. that's funny at all. Like, they're, 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 so this is what we're talking about earlier in, the, in this uh, five hours ago when yeah. we started this podcast, which is like Warner Brothers, it's like, you got to cut this out. And I, I completely agree with them. I mean, I don't think it's right, but I understand why. They're like, this is, this is horrifying. <laughs> we're trying to scare the kids here. So they go to Steven Spielberg, because Steven Spielberg uh, has final cut with Joe Dante. So if Steven Spielberg wants it out, it has to come out. But but Warner Brothers can't take it out because of the contract. So Steven Spielberg goes to Joe Dante and he's like, you really like this scene, don't you? He's like, I think it's the best scene in the movie. It's one, it's the only thing, it's her entire arc. Yeah. There's no reason to have Phoebe Cates in this movie with them. Plus, we set up the fact that she hates Christmas and then there's going to be no, yeah. <laughs> no payoff. So... He says, why don't you like it? Steven Spielberg says, I don't like it. He's like, I don't like the scene. Yeah. But this is your movie. Which is, which is, I guess, weird because I think in other situations, if we were more versed in Spielberg lore, yeah, we could I mean, probably point to Spielberg saying, I don't care, I'm pulling it. Yeah, I mean, they, so, there's good for all him. the controversy about, like, that goes on with Poltergeist that we were kind of alluded to earlier, which I don't, we don't know the, the details enough to go into it. But, uh, so he says yes. So, low, so what, Joe Dante doesn't realize is that even after they preview the movie uh, with, in front of an audience, which is a common practice, they preview the movie, see what works, what doesn't work, what can change, blah, blah, blah. 
crowd loves it. Preview's huge. Everybody loves the movie. It's, Warner Brothers is like, great, we got a great movie on our hands. Now all we have to do is cut out that scene and it'll be perfect. Yeah. And Jotay's like, we just had a great, it's 55 seconds long. Yeah. It's not really slowing anything down enough. The audience like, thinks the movie's great. I mean, the first cut of this movie was over like two and a half hours. Yeah. And they cut it down. It's only like an hour and 45 minutes, an hour or less. So what Joe Dante talks about he didn't even know was like up until like the day before it was released, Warner Brothers was hassling Steven Spielberg to like let us take it out. They were all ready to send, all the prints were out. They were all ready to send instructions to all of the theaters so that the theater owners would snip that scene out and then splice the print like back a together. Frame like yeah, yeah, like at this frame to this frame you cut out and then you splice it back together. Up until its release, Spielberg, but credit to Spielberg, stood his ground for Dante because Dante believed so him. much in, in that scene. Yeah. And I don't under, I don't really know, at the end of the day, I mean, it's one of the most memorable things in the movie. I don't know where it, it's, it, to me, it's just an oddball scene. I think it's perfect, but I could see Warner Brothers' argument at the oh, time. Oh, totally. I mean, it's... You know, it's just... It's, it's, it's so classic because of the content, I think. And I can't see where it fits anyplace else. And it does solidify. It's a Christmas movie, but it does and solidify. And it becomes a... And they spoof it in the next Yeah, movie, in the next with movie. With Phoebe Cates. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's... Look, it does... I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess... Would the movie suffer without it at... Who knows? But you're right. It is one of the most memorable things. And it's the thing that I think when we kind of, when we grew up, when we look back at It's one of the things you remember. Gremlins, we're like, so oh, like, remember how fucked up that was? Like, I never realized how fucked up that was until now. Yeah, it's weird. Um, and then, I guess, uh, they, we said Judge Reinhold was in the movie. They cut him out, sadly. But cut a lot of his stuff he out. He got a yeah. cool part at the end of the movie where he goes insane. It's, he locks himself in the bank vault, and he's like calling crazy because his boss, who I alluded to earlier, earlier Edward Andrews, who's a big character actor, is murdered by the gremlins. Yeah. And a lot of stuff, unfortunately, made its yeah, way to the cover. Some floor. cool stuff, I thought. Some stuff I understand, other things, you know. And then uh, a shout-out to the Polly Holiday, who played Mrs. Deagle from Alice, that show. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was her she's played the Alice. evil, yeah, yeah, the evil. She's Mrs. great. Oh, she's great. She's she's the mean Mr. Potter character, cat lady. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and all and all her uh, cats are named uh, different like currencies in different languages. Dollar bill and there's some yeah, other ones. Yeah. They're all currency. Uh, in the movie, let's see. It costs about eleven million to make. It grossed like uh, freaking uh, domestically uh, one hundred forty-eight million and one hundred sixty-eight thousand dollars. That's pretty good. And it was fourth that year of 84 behind Temple of Doom, Beverly Hills Cop, and Ghostbusters. So I think it did pretty well. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, it, it won uh, the 1988, uh, 1985 Saturn Award for Best Director, Best Horror Film, Best Music, Special Effects. Which one? We talked about the Saturn Awards and another thing. That was basically, that's an award that's given out around the same time as the Oscars. But because the Oscars don't uh, typically recognize like science fiction and horror yeah, it, and it, fantasy... As like a le- as legitimate <laughs> genres for some reason, the, the Saturn Awards were created to kind of celebrate those genres. Uh, Mrs. Uh, uh, Polly Holiday won Best Supporting Actress. Um, let's see, I think the, the score might have won. Also. Yeah, the, the, the score did win. Uh, Cor- Corey Feldman won the uh, 1985 Young Artist Award for Best Family Motion Picture. We Adventure. didn't even get into Corey Feldman. I know he's, uh, it's one of he was doing commercials at the time. He he makes his he, his first thing is. Uh, the first thing I've ever seen him in is the uh, the H.G. Wells movie um, with, uh, what's his face? Malcolm McDowell. 
when he plays H.G. Oh, Wells. time after time. Time after time, because remember when he comes into, like, present day, 1978, that's Corey Feldman. Like, look, Mommy, there's someone there. Yeah. Uh, so what would you rate this movie? Oh, what would, how many do we do? Uh, five. You uh, do five bucket of pizzas. I bucket do of pizzas. I would give this movie five bucket of pizzas. Yeah, I would. For do, sleepover class. I would do about, yeah, four out of five. I think it's good. Um, it, I, it, I think it is slightly dated with the special effects, but that's not either yeah, here or there. Yeah, it's dated, but there's something beautiful about yeah, it. You yeah. know, and like I said, like and it's that, just it's that eight unabashed '80s. You know, it's like kids looking at Playboys in the '80s. It's like you know what, <laughs> we're gonna go balls out. We don't it's care. It's just I feel like you know I feel like I have to give it you know four, four and a half, or five just out of. Uh, Almost just pure nostalgia. Yeah, you know it's and it and it holds up. It was yeah. totally enjoyable on this round on yeah. this time viewing. I haven't seen it for probably since college. You said you probably haven't seen it for even longer than that. Yeah. So uh, it holds up. I mean, I'm a big fan of Joe Dante. I feel like he's a guy that you know didn't really get a fair shake. Yeah. Uh, some classics, Inner Space. Yeah, he did some <laughs> stuff. Not a big fan of his. Um, we just talked about in the, in the Invasion USA cast, his uh, Masters of Horror. I'm not a big fan of that episode yeah, he did. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he's great. We, I, like we just said, we loved his um, his um, stuff he did with Explorers. Squads on the movie. I mean, I think he you know. would, he, you know, I would feel like he, he would go down as a, as a classic sleepover uh, yeah. director, sleepover movie director with Explorers and... Uh, whole bunch of stuff he's done. Yeah. That's great. So he's got an interesting sensibility. I mean, I think, you know, when you get into like, these kinds of things, it's all about, you know, the ones that stand out, movies in general, but especially in like a horror type genre, the ones that stand out are the ones with that are directed by somebody who has a, point, a very specific point of view. So we point to guys like Carpenter or David Cronenberg. I think Dante has a very specific point of view. And it's also so rooted in things like Looney Tunes. And yeah, Warner so Brothers. It's a very unique... If he did that last Looney Tunes movie, it's certainly... Like, I think you know, he, I'm not positive, but I think he did do one I of think those he like, right. live action. Yeah. Not Space Cross Jam, but like the other, the other one, yeah, the one later, which is actually quite good. Um, and then, you know, we were, we've been talking so much about the, the, the soundtrack and the theme to Gremlins. I also find very horrifying that, like, wah, wah, you know, that thing when, like, when, when Stripe jumped into the pool, which oh, I found yeah, an amazing yeah. scene, or when Stripe was getting killed at the end, that wailing they had, yeah. I find that f- completely horrifying. And they can, I think someone should take that out and put that in another movie. We didn't even talk about that. I mean, when he gets killed, when Stripe oh, dies. Jesus. It's, it's, yeah, so. It's just so much stuff. Go- or the bar scene and all the, the stuff going on there with like the, the, the flasher, the gun. I find, I find the, the movie theater when they come up and the reel's broken. And oh, and they're running towards the white screen? Yeah, that is horrifying. Yeah, they're all coming at you and all that. You it's just see like yeah, the shadows of them coming up. And, you know, and it's just fucking scary, man. A lot going on in this movie. Um, recommendations? Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know, man. Yeah. I, we, we're trying to... <laughs> we're always trying to put recommendations. We, 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 tried, we, tried, we tried to introduce this new segment on our year anniversary. And we forget that we would recommend it. a movie. I, you know what? Poltergeist. Okay. All I'm right. going Poltergeist. <laughs> totally different feel. It's not a Christmas movie. I wouldn't say it's a Christmas sleepover. Yeah. But... Uh, for me, those two movies are kind of linked. It's yeah. got like that suburban, small town, that Spielberg suburbia, yeah, yeah. small town thing, and they're fucked up. And yeah. I, I love Poltergeist, Toby Hooper. Yeah, that first one's great. Love it. I mean, second one's freaky too. Third Jerry one, Goldsmith does the yeah. music, so there's a lot of crossover. Yeah, 
Uh, I would go. Compl- I would go Christmas route. I'm, you guys complete, Christmas I'm going to complete opposite. Right, right. I'm doing uh, Christmas in Connecticut. Barbara Stanwyck originals uh, from like 19 late 40s, um, and it's just that. Almost, it's not Frank Capra directed. I don't think, but it's that very much that Frank Capra world where it's like a lovable Christmas movie, and it ends up being like uh, very fun. All right. So you if know, you want to do a Christmas sleepover, you know, and it's weird because you go with Dion's recommendation. If you're watching this uh, not at Christmas, and you just want to go with like a Spielberg horror, horror. yeah, you do Poltergeist. <laughs> you can do you know? Poltergeist. And oddly, um, in the early 90s, uh, Christmas in Connecticut was remade, starring, I forget who the woman is, but the man is uh, Chris Christopherson, directed by, wait for it, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, who would have thought? So, yeah, in, in Christmas in Connecticut, it's just like one of those love... Chris, of, come here. Yeah. <laughs> you need to do this a little better, you know, because when we go to you Connecticut... You really sell it now. Come you know. on. And it's like... It's come one, on, Chris Christopher. Now, we're doing now. We're doing take now. <laughs> it's Christmas in Connecticut. Come on. Cut. Check the gates. <laughs> um, if you like It's a Wonderful Life or Miracle on 34th Street, give this a try. I feel like there's, there's a shit toll... Shit ton? Yeah, shit ton of Christmas movies that are forgotten, that are really, really good, but there's only like a handful like, uh, you know, Christmas, um, like um, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, maybe uh, Christmas Carol or Miracle on 34th Street that get, you know, because people know them, but there's a whole ton of other ones that are fucking yeah. great. So you should do some research, and if you're a big Christmas fan, and if, you can, if, if you're one of us who can deal with black and white movies, if not, you're an idiot. Yeah. Uh, go check out. If I was going to go a Christmas recommendation, I would go because I would stay in the 80s. Yeah. I would go Scrooged. Okay, Bill Murray. That might also, is it Joe Don? Uh, Ivan Reitman, maybe? Joe Don? No, I don't that? think it's Joe Don. It might be Ivan Reitman. I don't know who did that. But I would go, if you're gonna, if I'm going to go for if you're going for the triple header of Christmas yeah. movies. Christmas movies fucked up. Little, yeah, yeah. Little, it's, little it's, it's kind of weird. It's got that 80s feel. It's definitely it's it's kind crazy. Of it's all kind of crazy in there. Yeah, Reminds me of Gremlins 2 a lot. I think it's just like that corporate. Yeah, I got to see that again. John Glover <laughs> character. Yeah, love uh, John Glover and the new batch. El Ray's uh, been playing Gremlins and Gremlins 2 a lot lately. That channel that you get? Yeah, yeah it's great. Glover I don't get it on files. Um, well, hey, check us out. This uh, was our Christmas cast. This was our Christmas cast. We did Invasion USA two weeks Invasion ago. Invasion USA Christmas classic. Christmas classic. This one too. This was the Christmas cast. Uh, check out. Cr- go check out a bunch of Christmas movies. We hope you have a good Christmas. Check us out on um, on our uh, Facebook page. We're on iTunes. We're on join join the fun on Facebook. Yeah, we're on Twitter. You can share us. You can uh, talk to us. You can retweet us. Yes, you can favor and please, us. if you listen to this cast, you like this cast, please. Go to iTunes or or however you listen to it, and give us a star rating, yeah. and review the cast on there because stuff like that actually makes a difference in terms of like where we stand on iTunes. And the more we have, the higher up in the list we get, the more people see us. Then maybe we'll get more listeners. Those kinds of things make a difference. And so if you ha- can take three seconds out of your day, if you're a fan. Yeah, go go on like iTunes and or thank Stitcher. The, the, thank the fans who have been uh, talking to us. And the ones that have already done it. Yeah. Thank you so much. And, and thank you for um, for, for the, our listeners for, to, to, who contact us and recommend movies. Now, and, is and this also our last cast of 2016? No, we have one more coming. We have a surprise. Is it a, we, we are thinking of a surprise, but will that actually be... It'll the be, first cast of 2016. No, it'll be no. It's, it'll be cast. the last. That'll be the last cast of 2015. We have one more cast, ladies and gentlemen. A surprise, surprise. A bonus. Surprise. It's a week from today. 
So ch check it out. It's going to be a surprise New Year's Eve, New Year's themed cast, funny enough. <laughs> to a certain extent. We can rope it in New Year's. Well, what we really wanted to do for Christmas was we were thinking about doing what we did for October, which was one every week. Yeah, well, that wasn't going to happen. Well, which so. we ended up kind of doing because we can put a plug in for the Randy Jurgensen interview, which was really freaking awesome. Uh, but it's not Christmas themed. That's not Christmas themed, no. But, but we, we, have, we have been upping the content in terms yeah. of quantity. And, we and had hopefully a, quality also. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, these, these two past casts we did with Randy Jurgensen, I think we broke news on a lot of it. The stories that have not been heard before, either about him being a New York City homicide detective or his, his yeah. tenure in Hollywood, which are very, very if fascinating. If you don't know who he is, which a lot of people don't, Still give it a try because yeah, you'll know who he's he led is. a fascinating life, and you'll know where he, you know, you'll know who he is. If you once love you movies as much as we do, especially of that era of like the seventies into the eighties and yeah. stuff, you'll 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 know. The stuff we he guarantee on. you that you've seen his movies, or we will buy you a, a Big Mac. <laughs> but we guarantee you, you've seen probably at least two to three of his movies that he's been in. And once you see him, you're like, oh, it's that guy. So it's it's and it's fascinating stories that. Who, who would have known but it's an exclusive to us it's amazing and uh that was for december so you know we have a lot of content coming up and in the new year we have a lot of fun stuff coming we have some crazy movies we're going to be doing you know, I mean, yeah I, I mean not like faces of death oh we should I mean, also say crap this was a request was was gremlins a request Gremlins was a request uh i completely forgot but this was on our list of requests so we do take requests yeah and we do try to get to them so don't be discouraged everyone who's been put in requests yeah it's just the problem is that you know we have a lot of videotapes and they're stacked up really high and we're i'm going sorry through. i cannot remember who requested it but uh you know who you are yeah well thank you very much for requesting we ran out of time or else yeah we're, we're, we're literally we're looking at the uh, quarter inch reel and it's, it's getting to the end of the tape so we're this thing's going to run out with with or without us so we'd like to thank you very much. Please check us out. We always love to, to plug the site itself. You know, we're Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. You can find us at saturdaysleepovers.podwits.com. Go check us out there because we have a lot of exclusives to the site. We put a lot of links up for the cast. Like when we post this, we'll have a lot of things that we think are topically related. We like to say that's like further reading. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out some stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, just check the, check the site out. You can see about us, links to all, stuff we do. Uh, like that, and we're on, uh, like we said, we're on um, Twitter at, at Sat Sleepovers, so you can tweet us, you can talk to us. We're on Facebook as well, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, you can talk to us there, engage us. Uh, it's all fun stuff. We, we love it, so uh, have yourself a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Ma have a Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas and a Happy New Year. <laughs> Everybody, hope you've had a happy holidays. Uh, if you had Hanukkah, I uh, hope it was happy. Uh, Kwanzaa, happy Kwanzaa, everything under the sun. Have a good one, and we'll see you in uh, a week for the New Year's extravaganza. Um, should we give him a hint? No, no. No, 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 no hint. No. It's just there's a slight... I'll give a, you a hint. There's it's, a a big, <laughs> it's a big, big, big movie for, for Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers is Jay Blake. And it, yeah, it is one of my favorite so, movies. So I bet you that's time. a big hint. <laughs> so I know you have already know what that one's going to be. Probably and it's, not. you know, it, there's something going, it's New Year's related yeah. in some way. Yeah, it's like Rambo First Blood. <laughs> no, it's not. But it's it's a hint. Okay, we're, 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 we're running on out of Yeah, we're tired. It's late. Okay. It's late. Oh, the sun's up. Okay, good night, everybody. Merry Christmas. Later. Joy of living. Toys for tots.
is in the giving. Toys for Tots. So let's give lots of toys for Tots. Toys, toys, toys for Tots. You can be a Santa, Santa. if you will lend a hand. Yes, sirree, there never, never will be an empty stocking in the land. Some have too many. Some haven't any. If those who have give those who haven't, oh, what a Christmas day. The Marine Reserve will help you, will help you fill your sleigh with lots and lots of toys for tots. So give a little toy today. Hello there. This is Peggy Lee wishing you all a happy and merry Christmas. This is not King Cole. I'd like to say to all of you, everywhere, that I hope you have a most happy, pleasant, and beautiful Christmas. And this is Nancy Wilson reminding you to give a toy to the United States Marine Corps Reserve's Toys for Tots campaign. You can help the Marines make this Christmas a happy one for needy youngsters in your community. So give a toy to Toys for Tots and give early, please. Some have too many Some haven't any If those who have Give those who haven't Oh, what a Christmas day The Marine Reserve will help you Will help you fill your sleigh With lots and lots of toys for tots so give 